I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of July 2022, and uh, we don't really have a theme this month, although we do kind of have one that we may be crafting on the fly. Um, But if you've been following along with the show very closely, you will have noted that I was not present for last week's recording, wherein Kyle and his brother Nick... Uh, reviewed Guillermo del Toro's Blade 2 from the year 2002. Uh, so this week I am back, and the pick was to me. Uh, so I decided to kind of, I don't know, pivot in a random direction, sub-random direction, uh, and select the film Resident Evil from the year 2002 as, as well, uh, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Uh, now, Kyle, um, mm-hmm. first question out the gate. Uh, Resident Evil, it's kind of a a big franchise it's been around uh since 1996 i believe at least in video game form uh do you have any personal connection to this mega franchise the details of my life are quite inconsequential uh yeah so uh, resident evil um so it's funny that you you ask if this is like important to me at all um i i'll just go ahead and say that 2002 was my least favorite year to be alive and part of the reason why this was my least favorite year to be alive was because I was introduced to this movie by one of the worst friends I ever had growing up. Uh, he was a full-blown piece of shit. Uh, he was mean to his parents. Uh, he said that if you didn't think that... If you thought anyone besides Sable uh, or, oh gosh, Jenna Jameson were attractive, uh, you were gay. Uh, if oh, you played, wow. Oh, yeah, dude. Dude, he was a nut job. He was like... If you play Xbox or PlayStation, you're gay. Uh, he had problems, a lot of problems. But Jesus. so he loved Nintendo, Slipknot, and Resident Evil. He was a Resident Evil freak, and he introduced this movie to me. So I didn't really like it for very for a very long time, uh, and it's only until recently, until you and my brother have like kind of reintroduced me to well the games, uh, and I kind of just watched the movies on my own as I was an adult, as they would just kind of be on occasionally. on Like on HBO, I would just come home, check them out. Uh, and then very recently, the Resident Evil Raccoon City, which is pretty awesome, if you ask me. Um, so I didn't really grow up playing these games, but you've had me play them, and Nick's had me play them, the second one specifically, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, is it available for the Nintendo Switch, by the way? I don't believe it is. Uh, okay. I I wouldn't be surprised if they make an effort to port it to the Switch at some point, but as to to my knowledge, it's not available on the Switch just yet. Okay. Well, I don't want to call this dude out and call him by his actual first name, so we'll call him Goldberg. Uh, <laughs> I'm picturing like, Goldberg from the Mighty Ducks. Oh no no, I'm I'm saying Goldberg the wrestler. Uh, we're gonna oh, just call him Bill yeah, Goldberg. Yeah, Bill Goldberg. <laughs> uh, I hope he's doing terrible, and uh, I wish him nothing but the worst. So, um, I didn't expect to, to have to slap a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode, <laughs> but uh, uh, I guess I inadvertently selected a, uh, a highly triggering film for Kyle. Sorry about that, bud. But That's all right. Fuck him. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, you, me- you did mention the, the games, um, mm-hmm. which is, of course, where my connection to the franchise began and persists to this very day. But um, fun fact, uh, dear listeners, um, Kyle is... He is an absolute joy to watch uh, during 
uh, scary moments in media. Um, he he has a, a body language that's just it's delightful to behold. Or you got to protect your neck. Like, like if he has a hood to pull up, the hood goes up, and then the, the arms and the shoulders go up around the neck area, around the collar. See, people may not know this about me, and I've learned this as I've gotten older. I'm very jumpy, so when my dog will start barking out of nowhere, I will jolt out of fucking, like, I will shoot up, like, fuck. And my, my wife is always like, why do, you, why do you let it bother you? I'm like, I can't help it. It's my physiological response to this. And I realized, watching scary movies... That's how I am. I realize that I get really scared <laughs> in scary movies, and I fucking love it. I'm just one of the weird people that really enjoy that. So, yeah, I don't know what I look like playing video games, but I'm sure it's entertaining. Uh, yeah, there's a reason I've been trying to get you back in the driver's seat for any one of these more recent <laughs> Resident Evil games, because the, the photorealistic graphics combined with the, the violence and the action, it, it's just like... I, I need to see this man jump out of my computer chair. <laughs> um, we haven't had too many opportunities as of yet, but that is on the to-do list or something. But um, yeah, uh, Resident Evil is is hugely important to me and many, many millions of other people around the world. I mean, the franchise began in 1996 in game form. Uh, and as I said, it persists to this day. Uh, and they're almost doing like a, a call of duty with it these days where it seems like there's some form of annual release uh, either in television film or or game like every single year like clockwork um so it's expanded to absurd degrees um and here we are with a new netflix series dropping in just a few days here which is you know promotional synergy that we're hoping to capitalize on with reviewing this film today um showing all our cars i mean really if i'm going to be transparent about this um but yeah i i have been following the games uh not so much the movies i have seen them all but i i don't have much of an emotional connection to any of them um but i have been playing the games since literally day one uh my brother matt uh, i remember he like ran into electronics boutique back when we had an electronics boutique in the seattle area um and he got that for our playstation with the the tall box the long ps1 box that they they only did for the first couple years of that system's existence um and yeah he he played the hell out of it and uh i think i got more out of watching him play it than he did actually playing it though um and and as tends to be the case with with most media and like most games and whatnot there's a thing that happens where my older brother introduces me to something and ultimately i'm the one who runs away with it and gets obsessed with it and he's just kind of like yeah it's fine (laughs) as far as i know he doesn't give two shits about resident evil anymore but for me it's like it's a it's a it's a given that if a new one comes out i will at least give it a shot um and to be honest like most of the contemporary releases are stellar to to good like there there really haven't been some outright stinkers aside from their attempts to branch out into uh online gaming uh yeah i i don't know if the resident evil franchise is meant to be a competitive uh online multiplayer game uh, i mean outbreak back in the ps2 days was kind of cool that was a really cool idea but that was co-op um and it it it, it was a cool idea that didn't exactly work out but um anyway uh, Kyle, would you would you like to give us a plot summary before I give us some of the like production background on this one? Yeah, I'll keep it tight real quick. I'm just going to read the IMDb, uh, the plot summary from there, because it's 
hard to really put into words exactly uh, what this is, but uh, a special military unit fights a powerful out-of-control supercomputer and hundreds of scientists who have mutated into flesh-eating creatures after a laboratory, quote-unquote, accident. Oh, they even put it in air quotes. <laughs> no, I, I, I did that. I'm, 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 chan- I'm channeling Dr. Evil today. <laughs> I, I can dig it. I can get behind that. But thanks for that. Um, the production history on this one is actually very interesting. I actually had a lot of fun uh, researching this one because I knew some snippets here and there, but I never really had incentive to do any real digging. Um, and I had quite a bit of fun actually unearthing some of the details about this one. In fact, I took it a step further and I actually read an entire screenplay. Uh, that's not something I've done in quite some time uh, for anything, uh, pleasure or for podcast or what have you. But um, anyway, the story goes behind the game anyway. Like the Resident Evil game was, uh, there was a, a Japanese video game tie-in to a film uh, that was uh, kind of supposed to be a ripoff of Poltergeist, uh, Toby Hooper's Pol- Poltergeist. Uh, it was called Sweet Home. Uh, and it's a delightful showcase of uh, Japanese special effects of the day. Um, it's not an exceptionally good movie. It, it's kind of like a cross between um, the 90s, The Haunting, and Poltergeist. Um, it does have some nifty effects work in it, though. I did actually hunt that down many years ago, like way back at college, and watch it. But anyway, there was a video game uh, made by Capcom called Sweet Home uh, that was kind of like a, I don't know, an exploration-based RPG uh, that had some permadeath mechanics that were very fascinating uh, for the day. Uh, but it takes place in a mansion. Um, and Resident Evil apparently began life as a remake, a, uh, a PlayStation-era remake of Sweet Home, which came out for the original Famicom or the Nintendo in Japan, or vice versa, anyway. Um, but because I said that game was based on a film property, they actually, the company, Capcom, actually lost the rights uh, to Sweet Home. So they had to take their idea of remaking this this game and make a new IP. So they went with Biohazard uh, in Japan, uh, known internationally as Resident Evil, because apparently uh, copywriting a name like Biohazard would have been difficult or something. Uh, anyway, uh, the lead developer for most of the early uh, games in the series was Shinji Mikami, uh, who of course began work uh, at Capcom as one of the devs on the Goof Troop game for the Super Nintendo, which is a fun one if you have a buddy to play it with especially. Um, and the game itself uh, kind of is known in retrospect as uh, the progenitor for a, a subgenre of gaming uh, referred to as survival horror. Uh, it's kind of been like one of the, the chief buzzwords associated with the franchise. but. Um, when I said I read, I read a uh, screenplay uh, for this movie, uh, that screenplay was actually penned by one uh, George Romero. Uh, he was courted by Capcom to do a film adaptation of the Resident Evil games uh, in 1998, I believe, which would have been around the time of the release of Resident Evil 2, uh, which he would uh, shoot a television commercial for, which I, I sent Kyle a link to the actual commercial. You can find it. It's readily available on YouTube. Um, and he, he actually did the damn thing. He wrote a full fucking screenplay uh, for a Resident Evil movie uh, that was never shot. Um, it's kind of a shame uh, because I would, I would highly recommend any fan of the series uh, to give it a once over. Uh, it is actually kind of a cool script. Like there's some cool ideas in there um, and virtually every character uh, from the first game uh, is, in, is in the script. 
Uh, it's kind of remarkable, actually. And there's even some uh, stuff from the second game as well. But, um, Kyle, were you aware of this at all, that George Romero was, was supposed to be involved in the making of a Resident Evil movie at any point? Uh, no, Trevor, I was not. <laughs> I was not aware of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had known this via like reading gaming magazines from the late 90s, um, but I was not aware of the fact that he actually wrote an entire screenplay. Um, and it has some really cool moments in it. Um, it bears a very strong resemblance to Deep Rising at times. Like there's an, there's a couple of sequences in there that are shockingly similar to moments in Deep Rising, uh, which again I believe came out in 1998. So I'm not entirely sure who ripped off who. Um, but aside from maybe one major sequence in this movie and one character. Uh, I don't think anything from his screenplay was utilized in the making of this uh, Paul W.S. Anderson film. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that's that's most of the background details as to like how this thing came to be. Uh, it is worth noting that this movie did come out in 2002, at which point we actually had a whole host of Resident Evil games already. Like We had the entire PlayStation era trilogy up through Nemesis, we had Code Veronica on the Dreamcast. We even had fucking Resident Evil Gaiden on the Game Boy Color, if anybody remembers that one. So we actually were fairly inundated with Resident Evil games by the time this movie even came to light, this first movie. Um, and I'm curious, Kyle, like, you, you said you watched this movie with... <laughs> it was introduced to you by a shitheel uh, named Goldberg. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember any, like, hype train behind this at all? Uh... The we didn't grow up with uh, with cable or the internet. Uh, I didn't. We didn't get uh, satellite until I was shit. Uh, I was in high school sometime, so we were pretty much four channels and uh, DVD purchases, VHS purchases. So I didn't get anything. Uh, Nick may have mentioned it from one of his. Oh, what are those game? What are the game magazines? Uh, game Pro. Game Ele Pro. Electronic yeah. Gaming Monthly game pro uh he may have told me about it up to that point in which i would just be like okay like i don't know what that means because <laughs> uh, i don't know what resident Res evil resident is. evil i don't what, know what, that... what what are these words what meaning could these words strung together possibly held yeah so in in my circle uh no there was no hype for this okay well i i mean the not having cable thing would make a, a huge difference because this thing was promoted relentlessly on like MTV and, and probably not, probably not cartoon network, but like anything with like teenaged audiences, this would be assaulting them from day to day. Um, and I, I distinctly remember the trailers for this one because they began fairly enigmatically. And I remember that, that cool feeling that I'm, I unfortunately never get anymore because because of the nature of internet journalism <laughs> just like everything leaks before it's intended time you know like if you at all are paying attention to the world of film and whatnot you end up getting wise to things before the studios would like you to i guess um but the uh the trailers for this one were very enigmatic where it i think it just began in the office area and uh that thank you that the guy gives when a the sound bite he gives when he gets bumped and he drops his coffee was like the first thing that happens in it and then it take it takes its sweet time before it lets you know it's a it's a resident evil movie and i just remember that like that reveal like among me and my friends where it's like oh shit they're actually doing it it's like they're a little bit late to the party but at least we're getting it 
Um, anyway, uh, you want to get to the movie proper, Kyle? Yeah, uh, you should. I just want to mention real quick that this movie uh, was had a budget of roughly thirty three million, uh, and it had a worldwide worldwide gross of a hundred and two million dollars. It was a graveyard smash. Uh, yeah, sorry. Playing with the soundboard. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's pretty fucking crazy uh, that, one, it had that kind of budget, but two, it made that much money. And that's according yeah. to IMDb, by the way. Yeah, in terms of return on investment, the Resident Evil films, uh, probably not the CGI films, but the, the live action films tend to do, they tend to have a very favorable ratio in terms of investment and return, which explains why we've had no less than six of them plus the aforementioned cgi films plus the reboot film welcome to raccoon city plus the netflix series mm-hmm. plural so there's a reason they keep throwing these out there is because regardless of their like objective quality as films or as narratives they make money all they have to do is make one and idiots like me will go out and see them <laughs> so, yeah i mean if you make it they will come in their pants, probably. <laughs> and if like some studio gets a hold of it, Edgar Wright gets a hold of it. It's just like Anya Taylor Joy is just going to be Alice uh, for like 12, four, 12 more movies. So yeah, who who knows what's going to happen next? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually uh, very curious uh, to see what comes of the Metal Gear movie. Um, I know you're like barely familiar with that game series, but you you know the name if I throw it out there, right? I played a demo of it with at my cousin's house, and I can never get past the first little level. I'd always die. So, it's a the gameplay mechanics are not standard. Like you, you really have to like adhere to the tutorials and whatnot. It's a game that demands you play it a very specific way. Uh, later games would like the most recent one actually gives you a shit ton of freedom, but that like the early ones, like the first two for sure, you gotta you gotta be stealthy. Like you, you, there's no way around it. Um, anyway, uh, the director of Kong Skull Island uh, is directing a Metal Gear movie, which I have no idea what the actual story of it is going to be. But uh, from a, I don't know, from a, a visual standpoint and from an energy standpoint, I was actually very impressed with aspects of Kong Skull Island. So I'm I'm actually hoping that you know maybe he can run with that and make something nice with it. Uh, so we'll see if maybe he'll like put his foot down and become a new Paul W S Anderson, like a like a, a video game guy, like guy who does video game movies, because Paul W S Anderson certainly holds that distinction, at least today, anyway. Um, but anyway, uh, you want to go? You want to go through this one, Kyle? Yeah. Um, we start with Jason Isaacs, which I would never would have figured out if I hadn't been watching this on Amazon, uh, narrating with an American accent. But why? Why would you have him narrating with an American accent? I mean, he has a lovely speaking voice. Why, why not just let him be yeah. Jason Isaacs? Like, we he, all love Jason Isaacs. <laughs> he's, he, sounds, he can sound very sinister with his British accent. Uh, but yeah, and he's, he's supposed to be that in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an odd choice. I, I would have been just... I don't think anybody would have objected to him having a British accent in this film. Uh, especially as he he's on screen for two seconds and he largely just serves as an exposition narrator in the opening and the ending kind of mm-hmm. um but yeah this is indeed jason isaacs who does 
have a history of working together with Paul W.S. Anderson. He was in Event Horizon in a mm. in a pretty big role, and he was the chief antagonist in a Soldier. Uh, so the two of them are are buddy buddy, as far as I understand. Uh, so he's probably just doing a favor to his buddy Paul. Um, but yeah, uh, he introduces the the Umbrella Corporation uh, during an like an opening title slide here. Uh, where the voice of Jason Isaacs uh, informs the viewer about the Umbrella Corporation and how on their ex, their outward public appearance, they just seem like a, a, a lovely corporation, uh, basically Amazon or something. But uh, yeah. deep, deep below the surface, they're they're dealing in like biological warfare and military hardware and whatnot. So they're a, they're a slimy, evil corporation just below the surface. Um, as far as I understand, this uh, opening narration is kind of reiterated in the beginning of Resident Evil 4, the the video game, um, which is kind of interesting because, like, Paul W. Sanderson kind of has a, a history of doing this. Um, we Kyle and I talked for three hours about Mortal Kombat. I don't think we're going to talk for three hours about this one, but um, part of what made Mortal Kombat interesting was that as a film... Uh, a lot of its aesthetics and and a lot of its like character work found its way into the games like like the film itself influenced some of the games going forward and by extension the Paul W S Anderson also kind of did the same thing with some of the Resident Evil movies uh, affecting some of the elements of the games in the later years uh, in particular some of some of the ridiculous action vibes that we got uh, towards like the Resident Evil four through six era um, seem like they were kind of aping some of the aesthetic choices brought on by Paul W.S. Anderson. Now, it's an interesting thing where something that's meant to be an adaptation uh, kind of ends up spilling over and, and influencing the thing from which it's supposed to be spawned from. Anyway, uh, we bounce from there and uh, we get our, uh, our main title, Resident Evil. Uh, and uh, here is where the, uh, the soundtrack uh, for the film uh, makes itself known for the first time in our in our opening sequence here, and uh, it is worth noting. Just last week, Kyle and Nick, as I said, talked about Guillermo del Toro's Blade Two, uh, which came out the exact same year, uh, and just happens to have the same composer uh, as this film. That would be Marco Beltrami. But there's another person attached to the score for this film, a person who is not a he's not a good human being. But he's made some music over the years, uh, and yeah. he was kind of a big deal in 2002, especially with the alternative crowd. And uh, Kyle, would you care to introduce this fella? Yeah, I'll introduce him, uh, <laughs> the notorious uh, Marilyn Manson, uh, which is kind of, this is kind of crazy now, Trevor. Uh, now, I was very much a Marilyn Manson fan when I was younger. I grew up in a strict conservative uh, Christian household, so he was my guy for a while. Um but he's not actually, I don't really think he's much of a musician. He's the front man. So the band the, the band that's with him, it's all Marilyn Manson technically, but I don't really think he plays an instrument. So this this is the sneaker pimps. This is the this is the band playing. So I don't know why he gets the credit for it. Huh. I, okay, not to defend a guy who's not to be defended but yeah. <laughs> like we we can all agree marilyn manson's not a good person no but, um i've known that for a long time <laughs> yeah it, kyle's brought it up on the show before it may even be on our lost episode the blair it was two book of shadows that's yeah. unfortunate i i love yeah. any opportunity kyle has to talk about 
uh, if, late 90s, early 2000s era of music. If, if you're surprised that Marilyn Manson's a piece of shit, read just a few chapters of his autobiography, and you're like, oh, this guy's not a good person. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. Do, do your homework. Um, yeah. But perhaps, perhaps, uh, maybe he was involved with like some of the audio engineering or something. Possibly. Like, maybe he was in the booth, and maybe he served more of a directorial role rather than actual instrumentation you know actually playing the fucking music uh but he is on a billion soundtracks it's him and frank welker for like the most like the most (laughs) credits the most credits on these like that was him he was on that my god um yeah so yeah uh marilyn manson you can you can hear you can hear the difference like you can tell when one leaves and the other one comes in throughout the film which is kind of fun also, I'm pretty sure this is one of the most new metal soundtracks that you're ever going to find. It really, really is, uh, especially upon re-examining it. Uh, I didn't notice as much when it was brand fucking new, but here in 2022, looking back on this thing, it's like, oh, wow, this was of its time and then some. Like, this yeah. this is aggressively new metal. In fact, I, I have a few notes here that just say in bold text just noise <laughs> just just there's entire sequences of just noise <laughs> um uh, and sometimes oof. sometimes it is highly appropriate and very very effective but other times it's like uh the the energy level in the visuals of the film of the energy of the film itself is not matching the intensity of the music not even a little bit the industrial stuff i think does match for the most part i think it adds to it for the most part. I, I, I like it for the most part. And there's a couple of sequences for sure that I think we'll both agree on as being like highlights. Um, there are just some oddities here and there where it's just like, who the fuck decided to do that? Yeah. <laughs> but um, the main title music uh, that plays here, though, uh, I actually happen to like as just strictly just like a melody. Like it's uh, supposedly the, uh, the influence behind it was they were thinking of Alice in Wonderland, which is very fitting being as our protagonist's name is Alice. And the story involves a descent into a different world and whatnot. The very, you know, very rudimentary, basic ass shit. But uh, I really like this this kind of like chimey, like like kind of ethereal tones that play here. Uh, it it repeats itself a few times throughout the movie. I I really like the main theme of the movie. It's it's very melodic. It, it's totally different from a lot of the other stuff we get in the film. But. Uh, um, y- Oh yes, moving forward with the film, uh, we are introduced. Well, it just looks kind of like an like an office building. You don't really know what it is unless you've played the games, and I'm guessing you know what it is. Uh, but I realized this is also I don't know if I mentioned this. So yes, I love. Last week we had uh, Scud in his big van, which I of course love a stakeout van. Um, under underwater facility like the Abyss, love to work on that. I would love to work in this underground facility. This thing is the bee's knees of underground facilities. Like, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I don't know if I would describe it as awesome, but Kyle is a peculiar fella. Like like he said, uh, he, he, he wants to be the guy behind the... The guy at the keyboard, the guy in the van. He wants to this, be Jack Black from Enemy of the State. And this is just all people at the keyboard. <laughs> this, this is what this whole facility is. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, actually, I really, really like uh, the first shot in the movie. Uh, it's it's in concept. It's a cool idea because we we get our opening titles and whatnot. Jason Isaac's talking at us, and then we just get darkness, and we see this like little box. It's just this tiny little box, like way off in the distance, and we do this like insane 
several hundred feet zoom and then the little box ends up filling the, the blackness and filling the frame um and it's a it's somebody working a pair of mechanical arms to to fill a like a, a suitcase full of uh, virus containers as we'll learn later but just the execution of the sh the shot it's it's done largely digitally but uh, you know somebody had to storyboard that shit that's a very <laughs> okay. creative that's a creative shot done mostly digitally is this franchise <laughs> that's just how you describe this franchise well actually that's what's funny about this one is that as kyle said pretty early on 33 million dollars doesn't get you very far in the in the land of cgi in the year 2002 the cgi in this film is used exceedingly sparingly like like they they do everything they do anything and everything to avoid using it mm. it wouldn't be until later uh chapters in the film series that things would go completely off the rails and just get batshit crazy literally sometimes batshit crazy yeah but yeah uh excess is the name of the game when it comes to the the resident evil film franchise um and also the later video games as well but the, in this film this 30 million dollar film we're not quite there yet we show some restraint um and i think it's to its benefit for the most part I'm not going to defend this film up and down. Like, it's not an amazing film by any mm -hmm. means, but it, it kind of knows what it is, and it doesn't reach much further than that. Um, but anyway, uh, we get, like I said, somebody filling a container, like a, a suitcase full of, like, virus containers, and we never see this person's face, although we do see a couple frames of it, which if you actually, like, hit the pause button, you can actually very clearly see spoiler alert james purifoy like in the doorway as he's shutting the door it's like why would you leave that in the movie <laughs> especially considering how many female characters there are in the movie it's like you, okay now i know it's a dark-haired man like how well, many of those do we have well trevor if you see him in his reflection he looks like tom jane when you see him face on he looks like purifoy so just calm thank, down thank you you, you kind of half stole a joke from me but yes james purifoy at this point in time, in the year 2002, he and J he and Thomas Jane were were in some casting rooms together. Like, yeah, he 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 Thomas Jane and Hugh Jackman. I was gonna say Purefoy <laughs> fucking hates Hugh Jackman. Oh, oh, he oh, hates Hugh Jackman. He hates Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Especially because Hugh Jackman got the good roids, and he's just like, oh man, I can't compete with that. <laughs> I pro probably uh, Rupert. What's the? Oh god damn it, Rupert. Um, Everett. Yeah, Rupert Everett's the other one. I think uh, he's just a little easier on the eyes than uh, Purefoy. Yeah, I think he's a little taller, too. He's a little stretched out, too. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a huge asset in Hollywood, because that's rare. That's yeah. very, very rare among actors. At least yeah. it used to be, anyway. Um, but absolutely, I'm, I'm so glad you pointed that out. <laughs> Especially uh, in this dark t-shirt, where it's yeah. like, all I see is... Deep Blue Sea and The Punisher. Like, oh, I keep getting distracted. <laughs> Deep Blue Sea and uh, Dawn of the Dead are both in my notes uh, moving forward, and you, I'm sure you know both of those both of those shots. Um, yeah, so I've got this uh, this this whole sequence down to sprinkler scientists, elevator folks, and guillotine. Uh, actually, that's very very accurate, and I'm glad you summed it up so succinctly because, truthfully, I I love everything that happens in this opening sequence but i really would have appreciated it if they tightened up the pace of it yeah because it it, it kind of like lollygags a little bit where it's like you know if you'd kept the energy level up like if you kept the the stress and the anxiety levels higher i think this would have been a knockout sequence we do 
get at least one of those in this movie. The the laser tunnel, I think, is... Yeah. I don't think anybody can argue that that's a very good sequence. If you... Um, that's the only thing I remembered from this movie uh, when I was when I watched it with that piece of shit uh, back in the day. <laughs> it was just like, I remember the laser thing. It was the la- That's the one thing that stuck out. Yeah, I think most people would agree with you on that. Like, especially people who don't give a shit about the franchise as a whole. Uh, the laser tunnel, I... I I would defy anybody to point to anything wrong, like outright just wrong with that sequence. I think it's very well done. This sequence, though, on paper, it's really cool. Like I like I like the idea of like not entirely knowing what's going on. I like that everybody seems very innocent and confused, but it the pacing of it is really yeah. weirdly slow. Um, uh, but if you were I- to like trim out like huge chunks of it. Like, I think I think this could have been another knockout. It just it just didn't work out in the edit or something. Yeah, basically what happens in this sequence is that people are down in this or not down. People are in this facility, uh, and shit's going on. They have no idea what's happening. We got sprinklers going off. We got gas. People being knocked out by gas. I love the one lady in the in the sprinklers are going off. Like, there's nothing on fire. There's nothing on fire in here. It's like. That's not gonna stop it. The <laughs> it's, like, it's like, hey, lady, I'm a computer. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, what did she say? Ri- uh, risk is not a part of my. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the little little girl says something later. Um, oh. Uh, but yeah, so I do like this giant fucking room, uh, and they're like. There's no way out of here, and it's filling up with water. I'm like, it's going to take a really long time for that thing to fill up with water. And then later, this thing is completely submerged. Yeah, they took their sweet time getting there or something. Because, yeah, it is completely full, up to the roof. But, yeah, this whole series of events is triggered by our mysterious person with the suitcase throwing one of the, the virus vials as they're shutting like a an airtight door behind them so it results in a viral outbreak which goes through the air vents apparently it's airborne um and basically the virus spreads throughout the facility and we keep cutting to these uh computerized pov shots via like security cameras posted around the facility uh keying in on all the people and noting that the infection is spreading so none of them are aware none of the people are but the computer is so the computer is locking down the facility uh, without anybody telling it what to do. So nobody's aware of what's going on. Um, and like I said, the confusion aspect of things is is effective, but it just it takes too long is the problem. Yeah. But we get it like in individual elements, like if this was cut together a little tighter, there's some cool shit here where like Kyle had said, the Halon system goes off and there's no fire. So it's toxic fumes. They're killing everybody. Um, by the way, Kyle, how many foreign accents did you note in the cast? Oh, let's see here. Uh, <laughs> Colin Salmon, uh, his, I mean, but his breaks pretty easily. Uh, yeah. I did catch that one. Um, I, pff, fucking Purefoy, like, my God. <laughs> <laughs> He's not even trying. <laughs> He's not even trying. So there were two heavy ones. Were there, now this feels like a Canadian production. Uh, were there some Canadians in here? There may have been some Canucks, but um, actually this is uh, us paying another visit to our good old buddies uh, from Constantine Films, who also gave us Pandorum, very obviously a film trying to capitalize on their prior success with the Resident Evil franchise, because Pandorum is basically, I don't know, a half step away from a Resident Evil movie uh, in both aesthetic and and just like vibe in general. Um, 
so this was partially like this was largely a german production um and a, as a result we do have some german cast members we more than likely do have some canadians as well we have a lot of brits we have at least one aussie um but one of the one of the the ladies in this office sequence the uh, lisa who ends up being a sister to one of our our kind of main characters later on she has a couple of lines here early on where it's like whoa i don't even know what the fuck that was uh, i was super drunk this last weekend not super drunk i had some drinks uh and i was up late and i watched uh, dumb and dumber because it's just a good one to throw on i've not caught i never caught jim carrey's uh, canadian accent coming out in that movie he says sorry a couple of times i i never caught it before yeah sorry and uh bean are, are my favorite where have you mm. been that, that's you... that's my favorite that's that's like the mm. big tell where it's like ah I, I now know what I am faced with. <laughs> uh, was there anything else you want to say before we get the director's wife in the shower? <laughs> uh, I'd just like to say that the elevator moment is pretty cool. That's pretty good. Um, like that's pretty effective. If you were again, if you were to cut it a little bit tighter, basically what happens here is uh, we get a moment where some people are trapped in an elevator, which is very reminiscent of Speed from 1994, although it's not an entire sequence unto itself. Uh, and the neighboring car uh, falls down a miniature air shaft, rendered in miniature is what I'm saying. Um, so everybody starts panicking, and then uh, a lady, I, I, a really bold lady, decides, I want to poke my head out be- between the doors. And then uh, the, the elevator drops, and it almost slams her face into the floor. And then this Red Queen, is this computer program, is feisty. Yeah, uh, because it, it decides to like give her a moment of respite and then double fuck her by by mm-hmm. retracting the elevator and uh, basically de- depacketating her off screen. It slams her her face and her neck into the roof instead yeah. of the floor, uh, which is incredibly cruel. Um, and I kind of wish I had got to see it. But that's one of the major problems with this movie is that this was two thousand and two. Um, and it, it's actually kind of shocking that we're currently in the midst of having these conversations in public right here and now um, in, in 2022 about ga- video game violence, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like it's in the headlines these days, kind of like it was pretty much when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, I think doing an R-rated video game movie in 2002 was kind of a, a tricky proposal. Um, so I want to say that the producers were probably very cautious about making an overly like violent or aggressive film so as a result the the, the film is somewhat neutered uh, from a violence standpoint it's funny you mention that because we were definitely blaming uh rock and roll music and video games on columbine uh marilyn manson specifically was very much the target after that so it's kind of funny we're in the midst of vi- video games are too violent they're like oh yeah you want to censor this movie guess who's going to do my fucking soundtrack yeah, the guy that, yeah. Well, I you. wouldn't be surprised if that was, like, maybe, I don't know, something to do with the, the production or something, where maybe mm-hmm. they just had they had access to Marilyn Manson, so it's just like, ah, throw that in the movie, too. But yeah. for, for, like, promotional synergy, Marilyn Manson attached to a Resident Evil movie targeted at teenagers in the year Dude. 2002... The <laughs> Let me set my Mountain Dew down. Uh, Resident <laughs> Evil and Marilyn Manson. <laughs> I spit, dude. I fucked up my monitor. I spit fucking code red all over it. Marilyn Manson's gonna be doing the music for Resident Evil. Oh yeah. 
Uh, but yeah. Okay, but but yeah, that's mostly the opening. Uh, we don't need to go into any more detail than that. So yeah, Kyle, as Kyle had said, uh, we 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 then cut to uh, Mila Jovovich's lovely blue eyes, and then uh, she's naked from the first shot in the film. Uh, yeah. Lilu Dallas Multipass. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. I this kind of drives me nuts in this movie. Like I was trying to explain to to Steph, I'm like, "Do you want to watch these movies?" She's like, "I don't know what's happening in this one." I'm like, "Okay, touche." Uh, <laughs> I like, I like. I tried to explain it to her. I'm like, so she's a clone of the young. She's the clone. Of, I'm not even gonna try to do it. Never mind. Um, but this whole movie. She's a clone, basically. She's like, there's like a, a billion of her. They kind of tell us during one of those movies. I don't remember which one. Uh, and this whole movie is her not even close to that realization yet. Like, it's not even on the radar. Like, right now, she's just learning that she's kind of a badass, but barely figures that out. Yeah, there is some visual storytelling in this movie. I will point out some cool instances of it like paul ws anderson is not an, he's not an amazing filmmaker but he is he is competent so you know credit where credit is due but yes as kyle pointed out this is the director's hot wife mm-hmm. um they they met on the set of this film and as far as i understand i think they're still together i think so uh, they they were at least through the end of the, the film series anyway but yeah they met on the set uh they hit it off um and to to her credit like regardless of the the overall quality of the films going forward Mila Jovovich has always had a lot a lot of good to say about her experience on these films I mean probably a lot of that has to do with the fact that her husband's directing them and more than likely the two of them are also producing them so from you know from a financial standpoint it's probably not a good idea to shit on your own toes but um she's always been very enthusiastic about the process you can tell that at some point she kind of hung it up as an actress and decided you know i think i just like doing the stunts and the physicality more so than like turning in like heavy dramatic performances which in 2002 she was very much capable of Uh, i just think she kind of pulled a liam neeson and decided you know i think i'd rather just hit people and be grumpy on camera rather than you know act Uh, but yeah, uh, she is in the shower. She's naked. Um, that seems to be like a requirement for a Mila Jovovich film. There's very few films on her filmography where she is not naked at some point. We do get some side boob here. Again, wouldn't be surprised if she proposed that uh, because she has an extensive background as a model. Uh, I'm pretty sure she's fairly accustomed to being naked in front of strangers um, for, quote, art. Um by the way, she wakes up in the shower and her hair and makeup are immaculate. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't happen, but okay. Yeah, um, yeah. she gets up, kind of piddles around. She's like, where am I? She, you can tell she doesn't know where she's at or what's happened. Uh, she makes her way over to a dresser and it says, today all of your dreams come true. Correct. And I like how she just like, she's not sure if this is her handwriting, so she writes it out. But she scribbles it out when she realizes it's not her handwriting, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> like, yeah, why she it, it's, it, it's, I don't know why she would have to do that. But again, that's like one of those visual storytelling things where it's like, okay, I, we understand the thought process of the character. She's trying yeah. to rediscover herself. And also, she has a scar on her shoulder, which, you know, that's an odd place to have a giant fucking scar. So there's probably a story behind that. Turns out it's probably like a combat wound or something because she's... Mm-hmm 
supposed to be thoroughly badass in this. Um, and she also finds like a, a cache of like weaponry, like submachine yeah. guns, uh, locked behind a like a passcode in a dresser. So do you st- this- <laughs> do you see parents? Do you see parents? Oh, you lock up your guns. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a production note I, where it's it like, oh, you got to put a lock on that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, you want just a little bit of violence in here? Yeah, you better put a lock on those guns. Well, I'm I'm gonna have a couple of more things to say about guns in this movie going forward. I, and I'm not an expert. I just you know I see something and I gotta call it out. Like like I know bullshit when I see bullshit. That's yeah. and that's. Mm. <laughs> uh, and then Eric maybe is just kind of pops up. I think she puts on the red dress. Yeah, off screen she she slips into the red mini dress as she called it in interviews. Uh, she did. <laughs> In, in interviews she did say that that was like a selling point for the movie it's like it's like it's, it's me wet in a red mini dress holding a gun what more do you want yeah. it was actually it was a cute interview because she was just like being very very upfront about like what the movie was in ter- mm-hmm. like in terms of what it had as marketability um it's it's always nice when people can laugh at themselves uh, when they're doing movies like this but um I will note here that the this this is the like one time in the entire film that the soundtrack is at all evocative of anything from the games up to this point. Mm. Uh, it's just kind of like an ethereal like choir track when she's in this mansion, uh, which we see an exterior shot of. It looks more like an observatory or a museum or something rather than a mansion. But um, yeah, she's in the the I guess now iconic maybe. Uh, red dress, uh, along with knee-high boots, which I'm, which I'm sure is working for somebody, oh, probably yeah. our director. Um, and she does find a photograph of herself and uh, James Purifoy, who is not part of the movie yet, but as we said, he's in it. Um, and she does have like an audio, mem- like an auditory memory of like laughter and glasses clinking. So she's under the assumption that she's married to someone who looks vaguely like a less handsome Hugh Jackman. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Eric Mabius, Ugly Betty. Uh, I'm going to call him Ugly Betty. I'm uh, calling him Hallmark. Was... Hallmark? Oh, yeah. yeah, he does He does have an extensive career of doing those movies, doesn't oh, he? Oh, no, no. He is, he is uh, one of the main cast members of a Hallmark series of movies. Series of movies. Signed, sealed, delivered. Uh, Steph and I have watched a couple of these over the holidays. Wow. Um... Yeah, I don't know how much he gets. We were still speculating how much people get paid for Hallmark movies, but it's paying. It's putting food in his family's mouths because he is in a. He's in all of those, and there's a lot of them. I mean, it's keeping Rob Lowe's face good and elastic, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> but I had I had no idea he did Hallmark movies, but apparently an entire cinematic universe worth of movies for the Hallmark Channel. Um, I mostly just know him as being that guy from Ugly Betty, which I've seen a handful of episodes from way back when. Um, so, dear listener, uh, if Kyle and I refer to a, a person in this film as either Hallmark or Ugly Betty, it's Eric Mabius. Yeah. The guy with the tall hair, basically. <laughs> the guy with the weird posture and the tall hair. Yeah. Uh, he always looks kind of like a little bit confused. Like, he's... <laughs> His yeah. posture's too good to the point that it looks like he's doing like a Bill and Ted head move or something. Like, whoa! whoa. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he just kind of bamfs in simultaneous, like to people repelling and jumping through all the all of the windows in the mansion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's like a commando raid of people in gas masks and SWAT uniforms and stuff. And then this is where 
the Marilyn Manson guitar riffs certainly kick into high gear. Uh, gnarly riffs, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if this was meant to be a nod uh, to the the dog hall, as they call it, in the f- very first Resident Evil game. It's a jump scare moment from the first Resident Evil game that's kind of iconic, actually. Basically, you're, you're just like walking down a hallway and then everything's quiet and a couple of Dobermans, zombie Dobermans, uh, Cerberus dogs, they jump through these windows and chase you and the music goes apeshit. Uh, it was, you know, an early scare moment in the game. Um, and this kind of reminded me of it, but, you know, less effective because it's not zombie dogs yet anyway. Uh, it's guys with uh, submachine guns and whatnot. Uh, anyway, this is where we're introduced uh, to the Colonial Marines. I mean, uh, the Umbrella Commandos, uh, yeah. headlined by Colin Salmon, or Salmon. I'm not I'm not entirely sure how it's pronounced, but uh, he's actually been on Catching Up on Cinema before uh, in Punisher Warzone. Yep. Uh, where he was also feigning an American accent. Not so well. <laughs> nope. Uh, I like him. He's he's affable. He has a, yeah. he has a good screen presence. He um, does. And it the, one of the biggest fuck ups this movie makes is uh, removing him from it so early. So quickly, yeah, that was ridiculous. Yeah, because he was he really stood out a lot. Like not just physically, but just he he had he has legitimate screen presence. And unfortunately, Mila Jovovich's like approach to the Alice character throughout the entirety of these Resident Evil films is to be like kind of overly dry to the point that she's like downright boring, honestly. Yeah, she's very boring. Uh, and it would have been nice to have like him, like he's not exactly like colorful or anything, but, but he's eye catching and he has a presence to him. And it was a shame that he makes his exit so early. Yeah. Because Mabius has like one hallmark. He only has like one little scene where he talks and then he doesn't really talk throughout the rest of the movie. Uh, Purefoy also barely talks throughout the movie. He has one scene where he has like four lines of dialogue before he dies. Uh, so yeah, it's it's kind of weird that the guy that's probably the best at talking isn't in the movie. Yeah, he, he delivers a shit ton of exposition. He's very much in charge of the team, and then he's gone. It's oh, like, it's- oh man, you you feel it. Like when he's gone, you're like, oh shit. You mean I'm stuck with these people? Yeah, <laughs> stuck with the nerd, the nerd SWAT guy for the most part. He's the most important character for most of it, and he's he mostly useless aside from a couple of really key moments. Um, but yeah, uh, all these commandos jump through the windows, and mm. as as we said, Hallmark like kind of tackles Mila Jovovich while they're tackling him, mm. uh, and they have some like off just they just throw some lines out there about his ID not matching. He's claiming to be a police officer, but apparently they can't confirm that. Um, and Colin Salmon is uh, confronting Mila Jovovich and demanding her to report. Um, but she's like, I don't even know my name. <laughs> like, and yeah. So he's he's like, okay, I'm not going to get anything out of her. So they proceed with the plan, and that's to head through a uh, secret door in the mansion uh, into a secret lab uh, that descends down into an entryway to a secret lab they call the Hive. Um, now, this was kind of an odd uh, choice, if you ask me. Uh, because part of the fun, especially in that very first Resident Evil game, but it's almost like tradition, honestly, is that the Umbrella facility, like the laboratory stuff, is usually relegated to the like the last third of of the game. Like r- the first Resident Evil game takes place in the mansion, which was represented somewhat in Welcome to Raccoon City, and the second game takes place 
largely in a police station and then the latter portions of those games you you kind of you as a player discover that there's like a secret facility underneath what was already a very interesting locale so for this one they decide oh no like the mansion's not interesting or maybe from a logistical standpoint it was too difficult to film there it's kind of a shame that they take away some of the you know the mystery and the discovery like kind of think uh like adventure movies from this era like the mummy or something mm-hmm. where it's like you, you you have to find the facility or you need to be surprised by the fact that there even is a facility um, but no this one like within the first 10 minutes we're already just like kind of casually opening trap doors and heading into a, a fucking subway underneath a mansion yeah uh, it's it's a weird choice i'm not sure i would have done it that way but that's what they did so yeah there is in fact a train depot underneath this mansion uh which all the commandos get on board they bring hallmark and uh, alice uh, milojovovich with them and we also become aware of a countdown so i think we're at almost three hours before something happens and uh, it's revealed later what it is but basically it's like a total lack lockdown of the facility um, and this is also where we're introduced to uh, all the other commandos for the most part. So the o- the only really important ones are Kaplan, uh, who's, as Kyle had said, was kind of our uh, our nerd. Uh, Martin Cruz, as far as I know, his only distinction is he's Australian and therefore has been on the, s- the soap opera Neighbors, which is it's like a rite of passage as an, o- an actor in Australia. Um, but the other one, the big one, is Michelle Rodriguez as Rain. Uh, who is shaking his head she's so (laughs) annoying in this movie and her her main acting thing that she does like jack nicholson you know he's got his eyebrows like that's his thing he's got that crazy smile her thing is she just looks like uh private pile uh the just a few moments before he shoots the drill sergeant and uh full metal jacket where he she's yeah her head is down her eye like just scowling frowning the whole time and I'm like, oh my god, just, can you just lift your head up, please? Like, seriously. She, she's annoying to look at because of that, but also her line deliveries are super annoying as well. I just don't like her. I don't like her as an actress. Uh, she's got this in the Fast and the Furious movies, and that's it. So, it's funny, because I've seen, like, the one good movie she's done. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck is that? A girl Fight. Um, okay. Which, as far as I know, was probably the earliest, or, like earliest most important movie in her filmography um but yeah beyond that i don't think i've ever seen her given like give a a really good performance um i will uh i will accept that you're absolutely correct about the eye thing that that is one of her staples especially in this and the fast and furious films but i will i will add to that um she also has a look that she gives that either looks like somebody just cut a muffin like somebody just past gas in front of her mm-hmm. or somebody just told her to go to her room it's like yeah. stepdad just yelled at her to go to her room or something or or told her she couldn't go out tonight yeah <laughs> she has this, she has this kind of like i don't know vindictive look about her but um yeah she's not great in this movie um and what's more uh something that you know i'm sure it it's funny actually because you know i i've been very much attached to the video games as long as they've existed um but i don't remember being like overly disappointed with with any with this film's like lack of connection to the games um but in retrospect it's kind of goofy that like uh there's so few 
characters and connections to the actual video games. Like they went above and beyond to not make connections to the games because Rain is is not from the games. Alice is entirely fabricated for this game and and for the franchise. She's the franchise protagonist, but she's never uh, been incorporated into the games or anything. But uh, I will toss out there that uh, the uh, George Romero script um, has a character that seems to be deliberately, uh, very deliberately modeled after Vasquez from Aliens. Mm -hmm. Um, And it parts of it feel like maybe they borrowed that character from that script and and inserted them into this film uh, as as the character Rain. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, we're introduced to all the commando characters. We get to see Michelle Rodriguez restore power to the train, and we get like hints that there's something bad uh, in the form of these fleshy noises and these POV shots of like shaky cam shots of like people or, or things watching from afar but we never see anything and it won't be like it'll be like 20 minutes before we see anything honestly yeah um but we do get like a jump scare moment here where uh one of the commandos uh jd who is a uh, pasquale aliardi apparently he's a german actor uh largely just a german actor um he's he and rain kind of have like a buddy buddy like teasing relationship with each other he just like pops into the frame and spooks her it's just meant to like it's that uh, the parrot shot from Citizen Kane, where it's just like, are you awake? Okay, just check it. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. is it in the movie for any other reason? No. Um, and we take off on the train, and uh, this is actually where the finale of the movie is established. Um, basically, the entire reason we're showing her have to go under the train uh, to restore power to it is just to show that this train car has a trap door in the middle of it, uh, which put a pin in that, because that's going to be important for the finale. Um, Anyway, uh, this is this is where uh, James Purefoy uh, makes his uh, introduction to the film. He's like on the train as they're in transit, and there's a sealed door that they open and he spills out of. And uh, Alice notes that they both have wedding rings on, and she recognizes him from the wedding photo at the mansion. So she's like, ah, I think that's my husband, maybe. Um, anyway, uh, we arrive at the nest proper, or the hive, excuse me. The nest is from the games, uh, the more recent games. Um, and this is where I noticed that uh, Colin Salmon is holding his rifle funny. Like, did you did you notice this at all, Kyle? No. It, it's weird. So he, he has, like, I think it's like a G36, which is, funny enough, a German weapon. But it has, like, a foldable stock that is, it's collapsed. So he's not using the stock, which is already, like... A, Okay, that's a choice. <laughs> but it has like an underslung grenade launcher, and he's only gripping the grenade launcher. So he's hold he's holding the foregrip with the grenade launcher, but not the rifle part of it. So his first choice, should they open a door in an enclosed space and have to and have to shoot at something, is to fire a fucking grenade at it. <laughs> that's what i would do so i don't know why you're laughing uh, it's not that funny uh, that's exactly what i would do <laughs> i mean as far as i understand the, those things don't like go off unless they either like travel a certain distance or like impact a certain amount so it would be like it'd be like throwing a high velocity brick into someone's chest <laughs> instead of a bullet just like punk and just like oh it could but, still hurt it might do some damage who knows I mean, that would put you on your ass. I mean, that'd kill you, but it's just funny to me. It's like his first his first action is to shoot a grenade into a, into an enclosed space. It's like, okay, 
Like your 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 friends your friends will appreciate that, I'm sure. Um anyway, uh we descend into the facility uh to the tunes of Marilyn Manson. And this is where we start getting introduced to uh the CGI map shots, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, did did you keep count of how many there were in this film? I I no. Was I supposed to? I, I'm just remarking on the fact that there are a lot of them, like a oh. whole lot of them. <laughs> no, I w- I didn't count them. I was nearly counting all the times that Alice has her little flashbacks because I I hate I hate those shots. I hate it so much. It's like me and uh, the the strobe slow motion effect that you see in uh, some of Peter, Peter Jackson's films. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, and not, I'm not condemning him. I'm just saying there's a certain type of strobe effect that you see in like $250 million movies. That's like, of all the choices, why, why did you go with that one? Yeah. <laughs> like like no. you have literally all the resources available to you. Why would you do that? No, um, I hate the little pieces of Alice, like things coming back to her. I'm like, just, just stop it. Because there's nothing else you could have done to do these shots. Well, not to, you know... Not to shit on Tony Scott or anything, but I did mention Enemy Enemy of the State the other like earlier on, and uh, basically the way those sequences are edited is Enemy of the State. Like any one of the satellite shots uh, from that movie, of which there are innumerable amounts of them. (laughs) Yeah, you can shit on Tony Scott all you want. He's not my Scott. That's that's not my Scott. I appreciate Tony Scott. Um, I don't think he's underappreciated, but uh, I I I like him. Like I, I think he's pretty good for the most part. Yeah, he's I just watched good stuff. I just watched uh, Top Gun in preparation for the new Top Gun, and uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, to have been there. <laughs> Not that I was, but yeah, <laughs> Kyle, you had to have been there. I wasn't, but you had to have been. There. <laughs> I'm just being That's transparent. Good. That's good. Uh, um. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, so they, uh, you have to explain the umbrella. You have to explain, uh, you have like Colin Salmon has to explain the whole thing the fake marriage, the hive, the mansion, the raccoon city, the nerve gas, all that jazz. So if the, if the Marilyn Manson wasn't sh- causing this movie to show its 2002, the cinematography during the Colin Salmon exposition dump most certainly does. Um, that's basically a camera that can't stop rotating. It's like we're we're trying to take something dull and make something of it. So they just decide to like constantly walk around the actors as he dumps exposition to them about where they are and what they're doing there. Um actually kind of made me think of uh, Ryuhei Kitamura and uh remember we talked about verses way back when. That's like a staple of his filmography is constantly constantly moving the camera. Uh, which honestly seems like a quirk of this era of cinema it's just camera movement in general it seemed i want to say maybe from a technical standpoint it was more accessible than it had been in in prior eras of film to just like pick up the camera and and take it for a walk um because i i have noticed that a lot of early 2000s films have this thing where the camera's just it's just zipping and zooming all over the place it's you had to have been there <laughs> uh, because it's it's straight up gross by today's standards. But at the time, it was the style at the time. That's a drop that I may insist that you put on our uh, our brand new soundboard. Okay, I'll uh, I'll see like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
folks at home, uh, you deserve an explanation. Kyle, what was that? Uh, that was Gary Oldman in Air Force One when he is told that the president is no longer on the airplane. One of my top five favorite Gary Oldman line deliveries, honestly. That okay, scream well, is... On that mm. note, speaking of video games, you owe it to yourself to uh, see if you can find uh, any of the behind-the-scenes footage of Gary Oldman in the recording booth for mm. uh, Call of Duty World at War. Uh, he has gone on record saying he thoroughly enjoyed his time working on that game because he's just playing a gross Russian stereotype and he's mm. just being told to scream all the anything and <laughs> anything that comes to mind, and he had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> Uh, actually, I was gonna let you know that I bought Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, and I am in the thick of it, dude. That game is awesome. It's the best. I've been telling you to get that for a long time. And it's yeah, I've so heard much fun. Nothing but great. Yeah, I've heard it's fantastic. I'm glad, bud. Yeah, it's great stuff. Um, yeah. By the way, Colin Salmon in his American voice uh, during this exposition dump sounds like uh, my notes say sounds like George Clooney and Denzel smashed together because he has he has that timber. Uh, from mm. George Clooney, uh, but he has a little bit of that Denzel sass, uh, mm. which we all love, except for Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, it's not that I don't like Denzel. He's just not that big a deal. Uh, I mean, that's that's fair. You don't have to love everybody. I love Denzel. I wasn't. I wasn't there. I wasn't there for his movies. I wasn't there when they came out. I watched them later. Speaking of Tony Scott, Crimson Tide, man, check that out. Okay. It's a submarine movie, Kyle. You like submarines. Love submarine movies. It's better than Top Well, Gun. mostly German submarines, but you like submarines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, we, we breached the facility. We yeah. burned through the locked door, starting to get some serious alien vibes from... Aliens vibes from this movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. At, which is inevitable. Like, it's impossible to make one of these kinds of movies. I mean, I'm looking at you, Deep Rising. I'm looking at you, the, the our director's own Alien vs. Predator basically is one part aliens which you know is warranted being as it's an alien property but point is the dna of aliens spawn has spawned so many other things that it's like you know if you see if you see a something you can draw a comparison to it's not a big deal um but this is where we're introduced to the uh the office area that we began the movie in and uh, we discover that it is in fact underground and i actually kind of like this detail here where they have like windows that overlook like a cityscape complete with like city sounds and uh hallmark uh eric mabius uh notes that it's like oh it's to prevent people from feeling shitty about working thousands of feet underground or whatever Mm -hmm. which is it's a cute little production detail i kind of appreciate that um we also have some mention of the Red Queen at this point, which is the computer program that controls the facility and caused the deaths of all the, the office administration and the lab techs and whatnot. And uh, this is where we get uh, the flooded labs. That we, yeah. we just walk by them at this point, but we see that those chambers that were, had the sprinklers going off and they have fully flooded. And uh, Alice is given a James Purefoy's jacket because, dude... That's that's a thing that happens, especially in the early two thousands. It was a different time, um, and as soon as she, as soon as she takes the jacket from him, uh, she has a flashback of them in bed together, um, and uh, we have a weird vent moment uh, that I noted here, where Eric Mabius just kind of stares up into a vent, looking kind of clueless, and then they put some like 
zombie noises over it, but I'm not sure if they're actually audible. Like, if they're, like, diegetic zombie noises, because he just looks like an idiot staring up into a vent, but, and nobody else hears anything. I think he's the he must hear it, because there's no other reason why he would stare at a vent. I mean, he he does kind of have, like, a clueless look about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, he does have kind of that mouth-breather vibe to him, but... Um, anyway, uh, we get a trailer shot here, where yeah. they all pass through the, the flooded area... And uh, there was a a woman's corpse that floated into view and startled some people. But uh, the trailer shot is uh, basically her corpse uh, puts its palm to the glass and her eyes snap open. It's actually very well executed. Uh, the timing on it's very good. But it was it was a prominent shot in the advertising for the film. Um, and this is where we head into the uh, the test chamber area where we have uh, a bunch of really sinister looking cells uh that i don't i don't even know how to describe these they're like they look like iron waffles <laughs> they have like a grid pattern on them and a vacuum tubing going through them uh basically it's like a, a warehouse full of these test mm. chambers okay um nothing really happens here yet but we will come back here more times than i'd care to admit honestly yeah uh, <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, we should probably get to where something happens. Yes, please. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it took us a long time to get here. Uh, something's actually happening. The laser room. Yeah, laser room. So we get to the Red Queen like nerve center. Yeah. Uh, so this is like where the computer mainframe is stored. However, uh, there is a really cool-looking hallway that we all have to venture down before we can get to her. You haven't seen MacGruber yet, but this is a real MacGruber move that this nerd pulls. He's just like, just like, what's the, uh, so th- we've got some of the SWAT team are going down this room, this hallway, because they have this device that apparently if you plug it into the Red Queen, it's supposed to like shut her down or like, like destroy her or whatever. And Alice asks, hey, what's that big thing they're carrying? He's like, oh, that big thing that they're carrying? They're carrying that so they can go put it into this this thing so that uh, it can kill the Red Queen, completely take her out. Right after he says that, the lights come on in this room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one scene later, we will discover that the Red Queen has ears. Like, the Red Queen can hear people's voices. It's like, yes. good job, buddy. You kind of told her what you were <laughs> up to. <laughs> like, yeah, right bro. before you got there. So Colin, like this is the standout sequence in the entire film. We did we did hint at this earlier, but this is the laser hall. I really love the set. Um, it mm. is reused later on in the film series because it's it became iconic, iconic as time yeah. went on. Um, but it's, it's it's a is it iconic or if it's like the one scene that holds up from this entire franchise? <laughs> I mean, that might be the case. Honestly. Two sides it's, of the same coin, or some of some of those sequels are really bad it's funny because my reaction to this one i saw several of these movies in the theater not nearly all of them like maybe half of them honestly first one i i walked out of thinking was fine i was like yeah that was all right in 2002 second one i hated yeah i i straight up hated the second one the bird Um, one sucks that's the third one and yeah that one i was like what is this and i mean it's a russell mulcahy movie so at the very least it has some decent action some decent some really neat looks to it like it has some good production values but the direction that they took the story was that's where things really started to get totally off the rails and made zero attempt to make any connection to any of the games 
and that's probably the point where I threw my hands up and said, I, I don't need this anymore. Mm-mm. And it wouldn't be for, it wouldn't be until several years down the line where I found like a bargain bin, like Blu-ray box set of the whole fucking thing for about the price of like a, not even a new release single movie. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, sure, I'll catch up on them. May as well. I know I, li- I know I like at least one of these, so it'll pay for itself. Um, that I would actually get around to watching the rest of them. Retribution is not good, but it's entertaining enough to get through, I would say. <sighs> yeah, I I remember the the last one was okay. There it's like the fourth or the fifth one that's straight up laughable. There there are a few of these that are straight up just kinda laughable, awful. Um I wanna say like the last two were okay. Yeah, but it's I, the last two were I, okay. I, I, I really I really get my wires crossed though when it comes to the latter half of this series. Yeah. Um but yeah, for my for my money, like kind of similar to like the Transformers movies actually. <laughs> like number number two is like oof. That one just hurt me on some level. Um, but I don't, uh, by the way, folks at home, like as much as I'm making this out to be like something that means a lot to me, these movies really don't like, like the games. I absolutely adore. I could talk all day about the games The movies. Not really. Like, like they don't mean a whole lot to me. I, I have watched them. I do own them, but I, I don't <laughs> really have much attachment to them. <laughs> uh, so don't expect like a master class or anything like that. Um, no. this, this is probably going to be an isolated thing. Although uh, Kyle and I did end up seeing Welcome to Raccoon City in the theater together yeah. during the COVID years. Mm-hmm. Uh, not something that I've done very much. So that that's a that's a someday potentially. Um, but anyway, Laser Hall. Uh, yeah. It is worth noting the Laser Hall was actually one of those details from the movies that was incorporated into the games at one point. Uh, the laser hall is utilized in uh, Resident Evil 4 as like a, a quick time event where you have to dodge the lasers and whatnot. It's it's a very obvious reference to the movies. Um, and as we said, it does make another appearance in the film series towards the end. But basically it's this neat set that's like a series of glass panels with like what looks like almost like fluorescent tube lighting within them, but it's a lot of reflective surfaces, probably a nightmare for the cinematographer, honestly. Um, but the the choreography and the execution of the sequence is, is stellar. It's, it's really well done. Okay, having said that, I did have a problem with this sequence. Uh, okay. The laser part's a lot of fun, them trying to, you know, like figure out what's going on and like the timing. The people in the control room need to shut the fuck up so this guy can do something. It's obnoxious. It's bad. I get why it's there. It, it is obnoxious, especially because, as we said, Purefoy is not the best at covering that accent. Um, mm. He's really not trying. Um, anytime he opens his mouth, something is off about it. Um, I get why it's there. It's just to create more noise and more confusion. Just yeah. more things to cut to, essentially. Um but aside from that, like if you if you actually just like tune out what's being said, if you just treat it as noise, I think it works a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we get some cool stuff here. Uh, we get some fingers sliced off by one guy. So basically, what we have here is a situation where our commandos, uh, I think three of them, are trapped in a hallway. Uh, Colin Salmon is among them, um, and these rows of laser beams are cast down at them, and they're in a they're in a straight corridor so there's all you can do is duck or jump basically who's listening to this that hasn't seen this movie <laughs> I mean, probably no one honestly i'm like i'm here you describe it i'm like they've seen it <laughs> i'm sorry go ahead uh but i like that like 
we we get to see the danger is is spelled out to us like it, it's a very brief sequence but it's it's very well executed because they tease out like the danger uh, in the form of uh the one guy not quite making it all the way to the floor in time and he ends up losing all of his fingers on one hand uh and i love the little detail of colin salmon calling for the medic for the hand and the medic was like looking the other way and gets depacketated yeah, <laughs> so it's like oh well that doesn't help me um and then the one guy tries to jump over the laser and he gets bucied from predator 2 yeah he gets bucied he gets yeah. it right through the gut it goes right through his midsection unfortunately we don't get to see the top half fall off but mm. you know what happened basically yeah. Um, but the real kicker is Colin Salmon manages to avoid that laser by jumping up into the rafters and like hiking himself up and his knife is sliced off his belt, but he's preserved. Um, and it's just him now. Everybody's everybody else has been lasered. Um, and our, our fellow Kaplan, the nerd is working on shutting down the security in the hallway. And, uh, unfortunately the timing works out just so he, uh, he does manage to shut down the security just as, a single laser beam is cast down at Colin Salmon, which then expands into an entire grid, filling the entire hallway, thereby making it entirely impossible for him to do anything about it. Mm. And I think he just puts his hands down and says, shit. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> honestly, I, not a bad way to go. It It's over quick. It's instant. Yeah. yeah. It is, it's very quick. Um, uh, what did you think of the execution of, of his uh, death? <laughs> so it's pretty cool it just going through him and then it just like kind of crumbles just kind of crumbles down <laughs> into a bunch of meat cubes yeah it's a bunch of meat cubes i'm like man that's that's actually not a bad way to go uh and it'd be an interesting way to uh to slaughter animals moving forward i'm like you know what just kind of you, you can just go ahead and pop that in your mouth real quick you just sear the sides real quick and your little meat cube not too bad. Yeah, I mean, who needs a pneumatic piston anymore when we got lasers? <laughs> um, yeah. By the way, for a movie with a, a very light R rating, we we get some eye trauma here. Like we get eye goop because it, it oh, slices yeah. through his eyeball, and we yeah. get to see drippings. Like yeah. that's rare in that's, American cinema. Yeah, we don't fucks with the eyes. It's pretty gross. By the way, Kyle, this will disappoint you. Of um, course. Uh, every kill in this sequence uh, I can confirm from seeing behind the scenes footage uh, had a physical uh, makeup effect uh, utilized for it uh, that was cut out due to uh, violence like censorship not, I think it was self-censorship I don't think the MPAA was involved but the production decided to cut out the additional violence so the meat cubes falling into a pile they actually made a like a, a life cast of Colin Salmon and had a pile of meat cubes fall into that hallway. They had a woman's head fall off. They had a guy fall in half. Um, but they decided to cut all of it out. Come on, you fucking piece of shit. Mm. <laughs> God damn it. That's Yeah, that's... I know. Major bummer. Oh, that's that's disappointing. Yeah, all we get to see of it is just the slightest bit of detail uh, in a reflective surface because there's like a metal panel in the hallway where we can see the meat cubes falling but yeah they actually made a, a physical prop that they they did this effect with it's very unfortunate like i said i think they were very wary of making this movie any more violent than it absolutely had to be just because of the situation in 2002 i don't think they were keen on pissing off any sensors or anything like that so last thing i'll say about the laser paul um 
there is a sequence in the George Romero screenplay uh, that's, I want to say where this idea came from, um, although it's um, acid spray instead of lasers. Um, basically, they're trapped in a hallway, and uh, every time they trip a laser sensor, it causes a, a spray of acid steam to spray on them. Uh, in like that Romero script is grisly, man. Like if if they did half of the violent shit uh, that was on that script, like you would have a like a fucking NC seventeen movie. It is a crazy violent script. Um, anyway, uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, they took that idea from his original script and applied it to here, um, although in a much tamer uh, version. Um, anyway, at this point, we're introduced to the Red Queen improper uh, via a CGI projection uh, that was, of course, as was the style at the time, uh, featured prominently in the marketing because CGI, that's all you had to put in a movie to market it to kids. Yeah. Um, uh, what did you think of this effect, Kyle? <laughs> Am I supposed to have a thought on it? I mean, I, I was expecting outrage, but I, I guess it didn't even register with you. Yeah, it's... Mm. The CGI is so dated in this movie, you can't even acknowledge it. It's just like, this is where we were at the time. You kind of have to just take it. Yeah, and it, as I said, it's used ex- like very sparingly. Like Every chance they get to not use it, they straight up don't. Um, but all this is is like a, a rendering of a... a little girl in red like purely just red um and she says some intimidating shit including the trailer line you're all going to die down here uh they do allude to her being uh modeled after the head programmer's daughter which of course is a a major plot point in the sequel um what is the guy's name who plays her dad Uh, i can't remember his name off the top of my head jared harris excuse me jared harris uh of all people plays her dad (laughs) in the sequel uh, an actor of such talent in a Resident yeah. Evil movie. <laughs> Jared All- Harrod's offspring is Mila Jovovich. <laughs> uh, is that what you're I trying to tell me? I don't know if that ends up being the case. I can't remember that. But the the little girl here is is her do- is his daughter uh, in the sequels anyway. Um, by the way, uh, maybe you know this. Uh, one of the uh, one of the actors from Game of Thrones ends up being like one of the chief antagonists of the entire uh, Resident Evil film series. Sure does. Um, yeah, I, I I haven't seen Game of Thrones, so I, like when I saw him, it didn't mean anything to me, but I'm sure, like, you know, in retrospect, it's like, that's kind of silly, Trevor. You probably should have known that. <laughs> yeah, uh, his name's Ian Glenn. There you go. Thank you. Uh, he's, uh, what do you call it? What's the term you call for a dude that's like... Uh, Kind of in friend zone, but kind of obsessed with the woman still, even though it's never going to happen. I can't remember. There's a term for it. Oh, hi. There's an animal in the room, folks. There is. Oh, no, don't start chewing. All right, give me a sec. Can't be having that. <laughs> uh, his name is... Jo- he plays Jorah Mormont in uh, Game of Thrones. But, uh, yeah, his character is kind of a kind of a loser in that show. <laughs> okay <laughs> good to know yeah um so i guess uh resident evil maybe was an upgrade for him uh, uh tomb raider was an upgrade for him uh, <laughs> oh yeah that's right see yeah. that that's one of those video game movies that means absolutely nothing to me like mm-hmm. i saw it like I, I think the family rented it or something i saw it exactly one time i remember 
aside from the the bungee hall like the bungee like room aside from that scene i don't remember anything um but if memory serves that one made a shit ton of money uh Uh, yeah so i've seen it a ton uh you get some angelina jolie side boob and you get daniel craig in his prime shirt off and straight out the shower uh see i don't even i didn't even remember him being in there mm-hmm. yeah with an american see, accent oh oh mm-hmm. that's, that's a choice <laughs> <laughs> sorry spit take and she has a british accent in that in that movie again that's that's, that's a choice, a choice. That's, a, that's a that's a gwyneth paltrow choice <laughs> stupid why, why be american when you can always be british <laughs> um Anyway, uh, they sh- they basically they shut the Red Queen down. Uh, they take that gigantic gizmo that they brought with them uh, in a duffel bag, no less, uh, and they mount it to the computer mainframe and they shut her down. Uh, as I said, she throws out that trailer line, you're all going to die down here right before the power goes off. And she does, fair- she gives them fair warning. She says, like, yeah, you, you don't want to do that. Like, yeah. like I, I, I have some security protocols that are good for you. Like, I know the other ones were bad for you, but some of these are good for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in in shutting the power down to, I guess, the entire facility briefly, uh, all these specimen chambers that we passed through earlier uh, go into unstable status. Uh, we see the flooded lab doors open. Um, and we get, actually, I think, some kind of cool shots here. Where basically, it's like lab corridors, and we hear doors unlocking. Like, we don't see anything um, and the shot just kind of lingers for a second. The camera's locked down. There's no movement, thankfully. Um, and then after a few seconds, we hear like very soft moaning. And you can see just barely perceptible movement in the reflective surfaces in the hallway to signal that the doors are now unlocked and zombies are moving around. I thought that was really cool. Um, that that was that showed a lot of restraint and creativity on the part of the of the production that you don't get a whole lot of that in this movie, but that I thought was legitimately kind of cool. Um, anyway, uh, the movie now has some momentum behind it, thankfully, because uh, not a whole lot had happened for that first half hour, if we're being totally honest. Uh, but we go back to the specimen chambers, and uh, Kyle, this is where we are finally introduced to the Zombos. Yeah. Um, uh, so... Uh, the introduction, I don't know, I'm kind of jaded when it comes to zombies, so, like, coming full circle back to kind of near the beginning of zombies, because this is not the first, obviously not the first of the, uh, of what led into our contemporary zombie films, but this was very, very early in the revamping. I don't know, was, um, 28 Days Later, was that 2000? I want to say yes. I know there was some controversy over the final shot of this movie and the connection to Twenty Eight Days Later. It's mm. opening shots. Yeah, um, very much. It was kind of it was kind of like who who bit off a of who kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, I mean these we're back to uh, we're back to basics with these zombies. So it's kind of weird just seeing like oh no these are just regular ass zombies. Slow moving, uh, bites and scratches work hard to kill. You just got to shoot them in the head, um, but. Michelle Rodriguez gets bit so many times in this movie. So many times. It's ridiculous. (laughs) 
Yeah, I remember walk. I remember coming out of the theater and thinking that, like, man, that lady got bit like yeah. a lot. <laughs> like, oh. like every every action scene, she gets a chunk ripped out of her. I think there's. I don't know why they did this, but I think it's interesting that the zombies in this movie don't look great. Like they're not super decomposed because I don't think it's been very long since it, it hasn't yeah. been long. Yeah. But it made me think. There's two things that made me think about Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Is like Romero's zombies aren't really that bad looking. It's just the makeup. They're just, they're, they're just kind of grayish green. Yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of how these zombies are. Just a little yeah. grayish green. Like they're not super dead looking. Um, They've got. They get way grosser as, as zombies move forward because the practical effects, like our practical effects, people are like, no, 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 no. I want to work on a zombie film or a zombie TV series because that's the fun shit to make. Um, what did you think of the zombies in this movie? I'm glad we're taking a pit spot, like a pit stop, to just talk about zombies because I, I do think this is worth talking about. Like this could be a conversation unto itself. Honestly. It, it, dude, I think there's po- probably a podcast dedicated just to zombies. Oh, I'm sure there are 12, yeah, at least. Easily. 12,000, 12, honestly, with how many <laughs> fucking podcasts there are. But Yeah, thanks, celebrities. Thanks, for celebrity. thanks, celebrities. Yeah, everybody who had a fucking TV show. Just say, hey, we're going to do a podcast during the pandemic, and then everybody else that's been doing this for a while is just getting phased out. I got an advertisement for a podcast from two of the Hobbits. Yep. <laughs> yep. Everybody does it. Mary and Pippin or some shit have a podcast. Hey, and I'll say, I love the Workaholics podcast. I fucking love it. It's probably my favorite of the celebrity podcasts. Like, the people that are just like, you know what? We're good at other things, and we have a whole other career besides podcasting, but we're going to do a podcast. Good for them for doing it. I fucking love it. Zombies. (laughs) Okay, well, the, the presentation of the zombies in this movie, it's like, you can tell, like, we don't have all the money in the world. Uh, we're probably shooting on a tight schedule as well. So, like, the makeup is very restrained, as Kyle said. It's mostly colored contacts and pale skin. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of raggedy CGI shots of people, like, missing chunks of their faces that, thankfully, there aren't that many of them. Mm-hmm. But they tried. Um, but for the most part, are, are, they're they're still intact. Like, they're not falling apart. They're not like Day of the Dead George Romero zombies where they're, they're like... Subhuman, like like they're just like gnarled whatsits. Um, but also important to note is their threat level. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we said, Michelle Rodriguez is bit constantly throughout mm-hmm. this film, which is actually interesting because you don't often see that in zombie media, at least the media I've ingested. I, I haven't watched The Walking Dead, so I don't know how zombie attacks attacks are rendered in that show. But what's interesting about this one is that, and I've always thought this was odd, I I don't disagree with it, but I've always found it odd that um, these zombies are no no more powerful than an ordinary human being. Mm -hmm. Like when they bite you, it's with the bite strength of a human being. So like when Michelle Rodriguez gets bit, it doesn't like tear her apart. It's Mm -hmm. just like, ow, that fucking hurts. Yeah. (laughs) Like you can get a chunk if you're lucky and have some time to gnaw on it. But for the most part, it's just like, ow, bitch, get out of my way. Yeah. Um, as like, as compared to like day of the dead zombies where somehow they're just tearing limbs off and gutting people like nothing. Like they're Mm -hmm. ripping through people like tissue paper, which is really unbelievably cool from an effect standpoint. But from a logic standpoint, it's a little odd that these decomposing things are somehow capable mm-hmm. of these superhuman feats of strength. Um, 
But yeah, the the zombies in this one, like one thing that, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, I guess, but one thing that's very, very disappointing about this movie is that part of the charm of the zombies in the games was that their threat level was fairly minimal, especially in like the second and third games. In the first one, they were kind of difficult, but um, because they were very bullet spongy, it was hard to put them down, essentially. But the thing with the zombies was that we had something to escalate two in this movie all we have are zombies we have dogs for assine mm-hmm. we have a liquor we have a final boss in the movie that does fuck all yeah um but what i'm getting at is that the zombies are meant to serve as just a stepping stone into bigger and scarier things which which makes it all the more forgivable when they are less than threatening i guess mm-hmm. so like, i i really miss that about about this movie like and and virtually all the resident evil movies actually like they did a very very poor job of incorporating the vast like roster of crazy monsters and critters that they have in the in the video games that i think it would have been so cool if we started out with zombies and you know ow they bite you it kind of sucks and then you know in the next chapter of the film oh shit we're dealing with hunters and they can run and jump and tear your fucking head off like but there's no escalation there's no progression it's just zombies all the way down well i think it's hard to translate into a film because the liquor is too powerful like as soon as he gets into that train car it's like how could they possibly even for a second do anything against this thing that seems to be brainless and just has one motivation as to eat people he does a really good job of eating people or killing people so I think it's hard to escalate that without a good stage for it. You know what I mean? It's like, how are we supposed to make this realistic? Well, the way they try to do that is by having our heroes be complete fucking idiots. (laughs) Apparently, no one in the cast of this film has ever seen a zombie movie. Because the way they handle this situation, as Kyle had said... Uh, Michelle Rodriguez does, in fact, get bit here. She, She stumbles across a woman in a lab coat... Uh, that she says, like, come here, well, I want to see if you're okay or, like, if you're injured or something. And the woman jumps her and bites her. Yeah. Um, and then uh, from there, uh, again, you can't help but reference aliens here. So we start out with the appearance of one, and then there's a moment of calm followed by all of the zombies, like, all of the zombies, fi- like, piling in through all the woodwork. Uh, so all of our heroes are surrounded on all sides by all these zombies. And then they proceed to, like go through like the checklist of like figuring out that we are in fact dealing with zombies so they Mm -hmm. do the thing where it's like okay i'm gonna give you a warning a verbal warning then i'm gonna shoot you in the leg Mm -hmm. you're gonna no sell it so i'm gonna shoot you in the other leg you're gonna no sell that oh no i almost got bit and then we're gonna shoot you in the torso a whole bunch you're gonna go flying get up and then I don't think they ever figure out improper that you should shoot them in the head. Like they are no. told that by the Red Queen eventually, but I don't think they ever put it into practice. Like legitimately, it takes rain. Like after after uh, the Red Queen's talking, she's like, "You have to sever the spinal cord at the top, or uh, some like really hard trauma towards the brain can work." And she's just like, "Dot." so we shoot him in the head it's like wow that took you a really long time to figure out yeah it's frustrating because we have this this so-called action sequence where all of our heroes are surrounded by all these zombie these shambling hordes of zombies 
they keep falling down whenever they shoot them and then they just never even think to maybe put one in the dome because they i don't think they land a single headshot this entire scene Hmm. and not only that they have all of their weapons set on fully automatic and they're spraying the whole room they're shooting the scenery in fact so (laughs) let's come at this as the director and let's come at it as how you and i watch movies you are going to be watching this movie as a video game fan watching a video game movie I know that there's a video game, know that it is about zombies, but let's assume that I don't. I'm just coming in as a movie person. How do you introduce zombies to you? Like, it's not that hard. You already know what's coming. Me, the moviegoer, doesn't know. So we have to kind of like, all right, we have to hold the hand of all the people that don't play this fucking video game and show them that it's zombies. Um, one thing that I liked and disliked at the same time was I love the way that they figure... I like the introduction of... The first one, I do like the interaction with Michelle Rodriguez, but I like the noise of the one zombie carrying the axe. I'm like, and there's more coming. And I also like the shot of him with a a completely, like a compound, walking on the bone of the compound fractured ankle with the foot just hanging off to the side. I'm like, that is, that's hurting me (laughs) thinking about it. But you can tell now we're like, oh no, this is zombies. But the dude with the axe, why is he still holding the axe? I get it's for dramatic effect, and it works, but it's just like, an axe? Come on, man. Uh, yeah, it it would have made more sense if it was like a key card or a lunchbox. Or, or something like, dragging, something dragging behind him even. It, it's wonderful from, from an audiovisual standpoint, because like mm-hmm. you said, just the sound effect of hearing that in the distance to like signal... Like oh no, it's go- it's about to get bad. Like that yeah. was really cool. I yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out. That was very effective. Um, but from a logical standpoint, it's like because like the Romero zombies, like there was always that sense that like especially in Dawn of the Dead, where a lot of these zombies are kind of like playing out the pantomime of of their previous lives. Yeah. Where it's like 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 a handyman would like still have his tool belt or something, or mm-hmm. like a security guy. Like I I forget which romero zombie movie it was but oh it was dawn of the dead where he like he has the gun like wrapped around his finger but he's not using it as a weapon and then of course like day of the dead you get like bub who's like fucking saluting people and shooting people and shit um but yeah fire axe i I don't think a guy in a lab coat uses a fire axe on the daily (laughs) no unless he was trying to get out um so we haven't even talked about the rest of the team because they are inconsequential but one of the team members is about to die. Uh, is this a Romero nod? This elevator shot? Absolutely. Okay, um, thank you. It's, yeah. a, it's a very effective one, if you ask me. It's I very really good. like this moment. I, I really like this moment. Because they do a really good job of playing up the Kaplan is struggling with the security panel. Like, there's a there's so much fucking noise during the sequence. The, the, the new metal is going ape shit. There's gunfire. There's screaming. And he can't get the numbers out. And James Purefoy is just kind of like waiting on him to get the passcode out uh, Kyle, go ahead i was gonna say it's it's the perfect way to do something like this which is a nod without completely ripping off the shot because it's a very specific shot like we turn around and the zombies are coming towards the camera but this the guy has got his back to the zombies and they kind of just grab him so i just think it was it's a really classy way to do it they literally flipped the perspective yeah like they they flipped the camera shot from the instead of within the elevator facing out from with from outside the elevator facing in and yet uh, this character jd who as we said has like some kind of rapport with michelle rodriguez uh, he very calmly punches in the passcode to the elevator door 
and he's just like fucking finally like he, he kind of like teases Kaplan and he's looking the other way and as soon as the door opens it's just full of zombies and they just pull him in and uh, very wisely a uh, good direction here they all the fucking new metal noise drops out for a moment just so we can like live in the drama of Michelle Rodriguez trying to save him and uh, she gets pit on her arms like both of them trying five. to do so yeah like five more times five fucking times <laughs> she's been bit a lot yeah um, not as much as he is though because he gets an entire elevator car full of zombies just ripping him to shreds it's not that bad when we see him later but yeah I really like this moment though uh, it was very effective um, I need to point out because you did mention the director um he kind of—I don't know if this was intentional—but he—he—he made a trope for himself. Uh, do you remember the superfluous Liu Kang cartwheel from Mortal Kombat? It's from—it's uh, from the—it's from the dining hall fight where he and Sonya and Johnny Cage just beat up the anonymous goons. Oh yeah, yeah. He does the exact same thing, but it's Michelle Rodriguez hopping up onto a platform. Staying in a squatted like yes. Spider-Man pose, she turning a... around and going ah, Scarface. <laughs> yeah, she does a few little little squatting. Like her tactical movements are yes. really fun. Yes. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're really fun. Yes, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Really fun. Really fun. <laughs> but yeah, I couldn't help but laugh at that because I was like, he just did the same fucking thing. He just substituted a, a Spider-Man pivot. For a for a fucking cartwheel. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so JD goes down, uh, and all of the other heroes manage to escape uh, from the zombie hordes and whatnot. And this is where we're introduced to the liquor. You ass better call somebody. <laughs> oh, you in the <laughs> Ah, the road dog, Jesse James. Yeah. Uh, the couldn't liquor. Couldn't better. Yeah. Yeah, the liquor. Uh, oh, <laughs> man, no. I'm sure he's attempted to give himself that nickname at one point <laughs> or another. <laughs> That's what badass Billy Gunn calls me, the liquor. Uh, <laughs> some uh, cheap motel room on the road. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, so I wanted to ask you... Uh, this, I mean, unfortunately, this graphic does not hold up very well. It's such a crazy cool idea, like a design for something. Do we get one practical shot at some point? Or maybe a stop motion? No, it's... Uh, so the reason why your brain is saying stop motion is uh, the frame rate of the animation is less than is ideal. <laughs> so it's it's kind of janky in the way it moves like if it looks like there's some animation missing essentially the jankiness made it look better in that shot in my opinion i thought it looked a little cooler the the way i've always thought of the liquor uh cgi uh, in this movie is the model looks fine like like the actual model the the computer model of the character looks fine the way it moves doesn't quite work for me I guess is, is the thing. Um, but as far as I know, I've only ever seen uh, behind the scenes footage of a practical model of, of the later evo- like evolved version of the liquor. I don't think this, this early version of the liquor, the one that we all know from the games anyway, I don't think they had a physical prop for it. 
So it's only that monster that we ha- we have for the closing minutes of the movie that I th- that they had like a, a practical puppet for. Um, and that, the puppet looks fantastic, by the way. Uh, but yeah, we're introduced to the liquor. It breaks free from its containment cell. Uh, nobody's around, by the way. And uh, it is rendered in pure CGI. Uh, pure. This is a mo- <laughs> this is <laughs> this is a monster from Resident Evil Two. It was not in the very first Resident Evil game, uh, so uh, that's where its origins are. Um, but its utility in this movie is very curious because the things it does towards the end of this movie. Uh, as far as I know, have never happened in the games. So they kind of, what they did, they kind of Frankenstein this bitch, where they, they took multiple monsters from the rogues gallery of monsters in, in the Resident Evil series of games and smashed them together and used the liquor as a foundation, maybe because it was a well-known image at the time. Um, it was somewhat dated uh, by the time this movie came out, to be honest. Like I said, there were many games released beyond Resident Evil 2. However, Resident Evil 2 was probably the most successful game up to up to 2002. Um, it is worth knowing the, the, the remake of the very first Resident Evil game, I think, also came out in 2002. So this movie was pulling double duty as uh, a promotion for that game as well as the franchise as a whole. Um, but yeah, uh, we get to see the liquor. It's in three seconds of this of its introduction it just like breaks yeah. out of a cell and jumps that's it that's yeah. your liquor <laughs> so we go back to the the red queen chamber for a second um some of our heroes do but alice and and hallmark uh go their sep- they go they split off i guess do we see them split off because i looked up from the liquor and alice is just like walking around yeah i, I think during the confusion like when jd is getting got uh, they break off from the group. Alice saves Hallmark from a kind of cool moment where a, a, a flaming zombie, like a, a, a zombie that is on fire and, and gives two fucks about that, uh, is trying to get at him. Uh, she saves him from that. And then, yeah, I, somehow they get separated after yeah. that. I didn't quite get it either. The editing there got a little wonky. Yeah, the transition into these scenes and then out of these scenes make no sense. Um, yeah, yeah, they just kind of teleport to other parts of the facility for a bit. Yeah. It, uh, just so we can do more action shit. <laughs> yeah, I had to mute this part of the movie because uh, now Alice is on walkabout, just kind of just walking through. Uh, and then we get a dog. Now, question about this dog. Uh, does the dog have... Do we have... I know we have CGI dogs, but do we have one shot of a dog with, like, uh, makeup on at this first one? We have one? many shots of dogs in makeup. Okay. Yeah, I, I love the introductory shot of this dog. Uh, it It's really well done because it is, it is a dog. It's a Doberman Pinscher in full, like, zombie makeup, so it's covered in bloody sludge. And very similar to with the zombie introduction, we get an audio introduction before we see the thing. So we mm-hmm. hear the, the distinct sound of, like, ticking, ticking, like, like nails on, on metal surface. Um, and then this dog just, like, rounds this corner and it's lit from below and it looks downright majestic <laughs> like, like it, it's it's really sh- it's showcased very very well um apparently this this makeup effect was very hard to achieve mostly because uh, i mean they were joking about how uh the the dogs would lick off the, mm-hmm. the makeup <laughs> so they had to use like you know materials that they could ingest safely but i guess they had a habit of like shimmying it off or licking it off so they had to like go 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 they had to go really fucking fast 
Uh, but yeah, most of the dog effects in this are actually rendered practically and and very well, uh, if you ask me. Okay, um, kill him. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> these fucking things. Like, I, if I see a Doberman that I don't know around the corner, I'm gonna find something to jump on to get away from this fucking thing. There are zombies down here. You, we have confirmed zombies exist. They are down here, and there's a Doberman that's a zombie. I, I don't even know what I do. Like that's the that's a that's a terrifying predicament to be in. Yeah, uh, and they move very quickly despite being zombified, um, yeah. which is consistent with their portrayal in the games. But um, yeah, we did actually telegraph these dogs from the very beginning of the movie. Uh, the dogs actually got wise to the viral infection spreading throughout the facility before the humans did, you know, as they would. Um, and Alice runs into these dogs in what appears to be like a kennel and we see that all the cages are smashed and covered in gore and whatnot and uh, i don't blame kyle for muting this sequence because uh the new metal is out of control like, <laughs> like literally, literally out of control in this sequence i had to mute it because my dog was on the on the bed taking a nap and i'm like she does not need to be waking up and barking at this this screen because there's quite a few dogs here so that's why i muted it not because of the new metal <laughs> Okay, well, I do want to point out a quirk in the soundtrack here. Uh, so we get an action sequence where Alice is is running down hallways, shutting doors behind her uh, to avoid the dogs and whatnot. She does take a pit stop to beat up the sto- the stunt coordinator of the film, uh, James Butler. Uh, he's he's playing a zombie here. She just beats the shit out of him, and like I think she kicks him in the head to death. Like, like she kicks him so hard his brain explodes inside its skull um, but yeah that is that is in fact the stunt coordinator of the film um, should have told Colin Salmon to hold that rifle differently <laughs> like where where were you <laughs> but anyway the dog uh, she shuts a door behind her she uses like his ID card to like move further into the facility and uh, she grabs his pistol off of his belt and uh walks into a room full of zombie dogs um and in rapid succession she just like shoots all of them in the brain uh so this is where she's revealing her super duper hidden talents that we you know assumed she had uh, based on the trailers and whatnot but she's only just becoming aware of and of course she runs out of ammo and we get uh the infamous trailer moment wherein uh as was the style at the time she has to do a kick flip off of the wall uh, to kick a dog in the brain mid mm-hmm. mid leap, uh, and this is where the soundtrack goes completely fucking ape shit, where it's going and then it just like abruptly drops out when she kicks it in the head. By the way, the behind the scenes footage of Mila Jovovich jump kicking a, a dog puppet in the head, fucking amazing. <laughs> Worth a look, Kyle. Oh, okay. it, it made me. It brought it brought a smile to my face, but. Then we get this weird... This is where the aforementioned quirk comes into play. Because I think what's supposed to be happening here is we're supposed to be, like, entering her headspace and coming to realize... And, like, realizing with her that, like, oh, my God, she's capable of amazing things. Isn't that so weird? Yeah. And the music starts... It starts... Like, the music plays backwards or something. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like an audio engineer took, like, a heavy percussive track and then reversed it. So it's like... Um... Anyway, she just takes a beat uh, to realize, oh, I, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> um, yeah. And then she uh, runs off. Uh, by the way, umbrella shell casings uh, in the pistol, uh, which is, became kind of a hallmark of Paul W.S. Anderson's Resident Evil films was the ultra slow motion thing. 
particularly uh, involving jump kicks and gunplay. Uh, he was very, very, very big on showing uh, slow motion CGI bullets fly at things and uh, his hot wife kicking things in slow motion. Uh, you would you would see that repeated in a lot of these films. Um, anyway, we got back to Eric Mabius. And Kyle, do you remember anything happening here? Uh, let me see my notes here. We've got zombie behind the glass. Uh, so he yeah, so he's walking around. He sees a name tag that says Lisa, and then he's just kind of checking out some stuff. And then a, there's a zombie on the other side of the glass that can't get to him. And then. Lisa's just sneaking up so quietly right behind him and uh, gets the drop on him. And he's like, Lisa, fuck! And she's like trying to bite him. And then, uh, yeah, Alice comes out of, I think Alice comes out of the shadows and uh, saves him by killing yeah, him. Yeah. She, uh, she bludgeons Lisa, zombie Lisa, by the way, uh, with a paperweight mm. uh, in the back of the head. But by the way, did. Did Eric Mabius say fuck? Because he strikes me as the kind of guy that would avoid potty mouth. Uh, yeah, that's Trevor. Just, that's he, just a guess. I, I threw the fuck in there because Eric Mabius is very much employed by the Hallmark Channel, and we don't use those words on the Hallmark Channel. Yeah, no, uh-uh-uh. uh uh Yeah, he can't even, he's contractually obligated to not curse in every other movie he's in that's not, yeah, not Hallmark. I mean, not to be overly judgmental, but looking him up and down, I would assume he'd be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, Ugly Betty, uh, Hallmark, Eric Mabius, uh, as it so happens, um, he's like an eco-terrorist or something, or an <laughs> activist of some sort that's trying to uncover the evils uh, lurking within the innards of the Umbrella Corporation. Uh, long story short, Lisa's now deceased zombie Lisa uh, is his sister, uh, who he had sent in to do his handiwork for him. Because he has a record and they would have sussed him out. Um, yeah. And Alice was her contact within the organization yeah. to get her access to stuff. Yeah, as she as he's telling her this stuff, I think we've either already seen it or we're watching it in real time as he's talking about it. Like, she was the contact. By the way, it's interesting that in this movie, it's like, yeah, this I had to expose this Umbrella Corporation saying that they're awful. It's like, Amazon, like, we know they treat the workers like shit. You can't sit down on the shift. Uh, they barely gave him bathroom breaks. And we're still like, yeah, dude, but, like, I need my shit. So it's like we don't even care that they're treating workers like shit. So I'm like, this is really not that realistic. You know, like, if we found out that an integral part of American society, a corporation that was so important, is treating people like shit, we're like, eh, I don't work there, so I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, sad to say it, but... He's absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> he's out of line, but he's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'll allow it. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, what's really funny here is uh, when uh, when Rain and Kaplan go back to the Red Queen chamber and, and our, our group separates, we they shut the door behind them and we hear zombies like banging on the door. Scratch at the door! Yeah. <laughs> um, somehow... Just in 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 through the wonders of editing, somehow Eric Mabius and Mila Jovovich just like show up. They just show up. They yeah. just like they just kick open the door and say, "Hurry! They're right behind us." It's like, no, 
they were ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> like, that yeah. doesn't add up. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's okay. Uh, I do I like... Mean, I, I, I think maybe it was like a different door or something, but again, like I, I paid... Obviously, I paid attention while I was watching this movie. It it felt like a mistake. I'm, I'm sure it was supposed to be like a separate entryway or something. I don't know where it is in the movie, but there's a scene where uh, the nerd comes in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, uh, it's the laser part. Where uh, Michelle Rodriguez and some other guy are like by themselves, and they all meet up after the laser part. And she said, "We're not going anywhere until everybody else shows up." And they all just kind of look at each other. And he's like, <laughs> "Oh, they're not coming." <laughs> he's like, "What the fuck, man?" And that's where just one of those awful Michelle Rodriguez lines where you're just like, "My God, just calm the fuck down already, dude." Yeah, she has like a disingenuous quality to her line deliveries in yeah. this movie in particular, where it's just like, you know, she's saying the words, but I don't. I don't believe him, like, I'm even not, a little bit. Michelle, I'm not feeling it on this one. I'm, can you maybe just give a little more zhuzh, you know? <laughs> I mean, our director was, he had his hands full with, you know, courting his future wife. Yeah, I say, I think he was a little <laughs> bit busy, yeah. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. Um, anyway, we got one hour before the facility lockdown. By the way, there's also a weird continuity error here where the uh, the Red Queen, the, the laser hall is cleared of everything like there's no bodies in there and and they actually draw attention to it like they have kaplan say like where did everybody go it's like (laughs) we don't have time for that (laughs) it's like we didn't have the makeup text that day we forgot fuck off (laughs) um anyway uh, alice's plan at this point uh because she is now in a take charge mode because she knows that she can shoot and kick dogs uh, she opts to reactivate the Red Queen uh, because she's banking on the computer knowing how to get them out of there. And, you know, the computer would probably be willing to do them that favor if, you know, they restore power to it. Um, and I noted here, haha, we can't afford more holograms because uh, the Red Queen is rendered in audio form only from here on out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm pretty sure this was just a more cost-effective way of achieving this. Uh, so no more holograms. They even draw attention to the fact that, oh, that circuit must have burnt out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, we get exposition about the T-virus, uh, the titular T-virus, I guess. <laughs> no, it's not titular, but um, T-virus is like a huge part of Resident Evil mythology, and she tells us that the virus was developed in this lab. It reanimates the dead. It's what made the zombies and the dogs and whatnot. Um, and we're cross-cutting back and forth between everybody's reaction shots and uh, the fallen member of the team, JD, awakening as a zombie. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where it's mentioned that, oh, like, how do you kill them, these zombies? It's like, well, it's the same way you do in every zombie thing except yeah. for Return of the Living Dead, uh, which plays by totally different rules. Very, very cruel and unfair rules, if you ask me. Um Massively effective in generating horror, though. What What's your take on that, Kyle? The Return of the Living Dead zombies? Which Return of the Living Dead? Is that the... <laughs> there's a lot that's of living punk, deads. Punk, that's the, the punk rock zombies that nothing kills them. Like, yeah. if they're reduced to molecules, they persist. Yeah, I was going to say the one... The, dump, the, uh, the, the drum, the one that's in the drum, like, is yes. there's nothing... I mean, that is evil but it's the logical next step it's just like well we have to have zombies that really can't be destroyed so 
it's that, that I, movie gets under my skin, man. That movie makes me feel bad and like make gives me genuine pangs of horror. Well, what for zombie movies? What works for me is the sense of impending doom, and yeah. and <laughs> uh, the hustle. Like there needs to be tension, and I think zombies are a great way to build tension. Dispatching them isn't that big a deal. Just if it, if they die, they die. It, it, just having sheer numbers of them is enough. You don't need to make killing them more complicated. Yeah, I, I mostly agree. I, the Return of the Living Dead take on them was very, very unique. Um, but something about the utter unkillable, like unkillableness of them, just gets under my skin, man. Like it actually, like for a very fun movie, that for some reason that movie freaks me out a little bit. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, after we learn about the T virus, uh, we also confirm that Rain, after having been bit thirty fucking times, is indeed infected. Um, yeah. And we descend into the utility tunnels, and it's here where uh, Mila Jovovich gets to probably they, uh, legitimately harm a lot of stunt people. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you say utility tunnels? That's what you're calling these? Sure. Is this a sewer? This is a sewer. It very much feels like a sewer to me, Trevor. Okay, we'll we'll call it a sewer. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I mean, that does look like sewage on the ground. I was yeah. just trying to gloss it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also, Paul W.S. Anderson can't help himself here. So we, we had a callback to the superfluous cartwheel. Uh, now we have to have a callback to the Sonya between the thighs neck break, mm-hmm. um, which uh, he asks his future wife to do to a zombie here. Um, and uh, anyway, all of our heroes escape uh, the hordes of zombies in the, the poo tunnels in the sewers uh, by climbing up onto the piping up above. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, here, Kaplan is also bit, so now we have two infected people at least. Um, <laughs> Rain gets bit some more, by the way. I feel a woozy air. Yeah. Save that one for later, too, because okay. she, li- she, oh. comes, she comes this close. This yeah. close. It's it's like it's kind of like um, the new the newer Spider-Man movies where they really 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 want to say with great power comes great responsibility, mm-hmm. but they don't want to say it like word for word because it's been done so much. So they like find ways to like still say it but not using the words. <laughs> like she basically does that with that line. Uh, anyway, uh, she gets bit by she runs into Zombie JD. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she ha- she does what you do, and she hesitates, and then he bites her, and then she shoots him in the fucking face. Uh, again, like you do. And we actually have kind of a neat moment here where there's a moment of quiet, and like all the sound is dropped out, and we're, it's just Mila Jovovich and Michelle Rodriguez having a conversation in the pipes. And Michelle Rodriguez is like squeezing blood out of her hand. It's not a cool it- moment. Well, what I liked was that they dropped the sound out, and you're like, you lose context, where you're like, where are we? What is going on? And then the sound comes back as we see the reveal of they haven't advanced. They're still where they were up in the pipes, Mm -hmm. and there's like dozens of zombies reaching out towards them uh, from below. Yeah, I hate Um, that. I hate that line. I hate that whole that whole thing that she does with the squeezing. Like, don't. Don't entice them more. Like you, they're already after you. Don't give them more blood. But it just her delivery. It's not not her fault. Just the whole the whole line. I I'm like, God damn it! I made an well, it's audible. Also, it's also weird too because like it the placement of it. Like I want to say that they kept it in there for whimsy, where it's just like yeah. 
that that was a neat thing to do but remember ticking clock we have yeah an hour left yeah, like we don't have time an hour we don't have time for whimsy yeah <laughs> honestly it's like this movie does have a ticking clock right what was like, the... we are doing a ripoff of aliens right the reactor's going to blow <laughs> what what's the batista zombie movie that's on that was on netflix army of the dead army of the dead dude which is not it was pretty fun it was a pretty good time but every chance he got with his fucking daughter is just like, oh my god, dude! Like it's like five or six minutes of them just talking about how how much of a piece of shit he's been his whole life. I'm like, just get with the zombie shit. Like, yeah, I'm gonna become a vegan chef. Isn't that affable? Yeah, like, I'm I'm Dave Bautista. I'm a really cool guy. I'm really I have lots of layers. I'm like an ogre. I'm like Shrek. As if <laughs> as if my body mass index could you know actually sustain a vegan diet. Uh, I don't really think it can. <laughs> Yeah, that that math don't add up. Yeah, that dude's um, eating that dude's eating whole horses, <laughs> and has been for a long time. What do you mean they turn uh, them into glue? They don't need to turn them into glue. I'll eat them. Just grind them up into paste. I'll eat them. Yeah, throw it in a shake. A little salt, a little chocolate, a little chocolate powder in there. Yeah, I can eat that. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, this is where rain. Uh, this, so we're on these these uh, pipe, these pipes suspended above the ground, and we're making good progress. I, I tried to put a uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in, a, in a piping yeah yeah. I immediately uh, thought of that uh, pipes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the the pipe breaks, and uh, our group is separated. So Kaplan is broken. Oops. <laughs> uh, folks at home, Casey Jones, yeah. uh, Elias Coteus, Teenage yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles, 1990. Look it up. Um, fantastic. Good job, Kyle. Uh, thank you, thank you. So Kaplan falls, and everybody else uh, makes it across this like bridge area. Uh, he gets bit some more, and uh, he's losing hope, by the way. And Rain has a pistol trained on the zombies who are attacking him. Mm-hmm. And this is where she is most certainly feeling a little woozy. Uh, she, she says, I can't see. Like, basically, she says the line without saying the line. Um, so she fails to help him. Um, but he manages to escape on his own. And uh, he has one bullet left, so we all kind of have an idea of what the plan is for him. Yeah. Uh, he, forces, he forces them to leave him behind. Um, and then he actually puts the gun in his mouth, and we hear a gunshot off screen after everybody's left him. And then we very quickly cut back, so we don't even let that moment breathe or anything. But we uh, we cut back, and as it so happens, he shot a zombie in the face instead, and uh, he crawls off through a different tunnel. So he's separated, but he's still alive. Um, we get some puke action here. Michelle Rodriguez pukes. It's pretty yeah. cool. Um, we get a shot of the liquor crawling down some tunnels, so that's like five seconds total screen time at this point. Yeah. He's barely... Yeah, he's... He's barely in the film, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we uh, have a moment here where the lab transforms around Alice, so her mem- more and more of her memory is coming back to her. So the like badly damaged, flooded lab, uh, the camera pulls back, and we see it morph back into how it was when it was still in operation. And uh, long story short, she remembers, oh, there was virus, but there was also antivirus. Uh, so she, there's hope for Kaplan and Rain uh, if they can get a hold of the antivirus. Unfortunately, it's gone. Uh, so it's at this point that they try to inject some drama in here by having a Hallmark 
uh, get wise to the fact that Alice was uh, Lisa, his sister Lisa's contact, so he's like condemning her for you know putting her, his sister in danger and getting her killed and zombified and stuff. Nothing comes of it. And uh, this is where we get the grand reveal, Kyle, uh, for the character who's had like three lines up to this point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, this guy that actually is like the most evil one, the most evil looking one out of your group. Uh-oh, he's actually the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, so we learned that James Purifoy, he, like Alice, uh, his memory returns to him, and we get this this MTV-style montage of him uh, replaying the events leading up to the crisis here in the lab uh, in his memory. And uh, we see that he was eavesdropping on her, Alice, that is, uh, making the deal with Lisa in the courtyard at the mansion, uh, he, of course, takes a second to remember himself in bed with Mila Jovovich. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was the ro- the one who wrote the note that she read uh, when she first awoke in the, in the mansion. He was the person who stole the virus. He was the one that started the outbreak. He was the one who bumped the coffee guy and made him say, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he almost escaped. He almost got away with it, if yeah. not for those snooping kids. Yeah. And he, yeah, he's their computer girl. Yeah, he's explaining the whole thing to them. Meanwhile, there's a stealth zombie that just just kind of pops up in the back, and everybody is just watching it happen, which is pretty great. <laughs> it's like that scene in Slitty Slickers where Curly's walking up behind Billy Crystal, talking shit about him, and everybody's just watching him come. And nobody he's stops him. From, isn't he? He's behind me, isn't he? Yeah, he's just like. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. And she's just like, I don't think you are. Hey, Paul! Yeah. Uh, he just gets uh, he gets got. Just gets bit in the neck. Um, yeah. Which, he's not super concerned. About. He's not happy about it, but he's not super concerned about it. Because he knows where the antivirus is. Or antidote. Whatever you want to call it. Different film. This sequence could have used a, I'm not mad... I'm just disappointed <laughs> before shutting the door behind him. <laughs> I feel like he should have gone with the scumbag thing. It was like, you know, you can come with me still because you, you know, obviously you're hot, you know. Um, well, he does offer. He, he does. does offer. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't listening. Yeah, he does offer. I, I, like, I know this movie well enough that I know what's happening. I didn't have to. I was trying to find things that I didn't catch before, which there wasn't any. Uh <laughs> It's not one of those movies. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not one of those movies where it's like it gets better with time, where you catch things that you didn't catch before. It's just like now I'm I'm kind of just going through the motions on this one. Let's just let's just keep it moving. Yeah, I, I did catch a fun little detail here. It's after he shuts the door behind him. By the way, he has a pistol that he's brandishing in front of everybody, so yeah. that's how they don't jump him. Um, as soon as the door shuts behind him, uh, Mila Jovovich takes off his jacket and like throws it on the ground. Like, <laughs> guys Fuck good. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, he runs back to the train. Uh, and as it so happens, th- the virus case was on the train, like three feet from where they found him. Uh, so it was right there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he very promptly pulls it out he's pretty good about finding that vein by the way just yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I've done this before uh and uh he's prepping himself for uh injecting the antivirus in himself because he did just get bit um but he is jumped by the liquor uh, which comes down from the ceiling and we don't see much of anything that it does to him but we know it's really bad because we do see the after effects of it and it's gnarly <laughs> Like yeah. It's it's plenty bloody, but I, I kind of wish we got to see 
actually what happened, but no, we yeah. just see it after the fact. Yeah. I'm glad you did. <laughs> Our uh, got a little hot under the yeah. collar. Um... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I remember it being, like, for some reason, I remember it being more gruesome when I watched it when I was a kid. But, yeah, on rewatch, I, I was looking forward to this part. I'm like, oh, this is the part where he gets got. And it's like, oh, that was it? Like, I remember being much more graphic. Maybe it seemed more graphic at the time. Because I was, like, crossing my wires with, you, you see the aftermath later of what he looks like. I'm like, maybe I'm misremembering from a different movie. But, yeah, it it... It's not very spectacular, unfortunately. I think I might have an answer for you about those crossed wires. So more than likely, it's just, you know, childhood memory betraying you, which happens to all of us, me especially. Um, You just remember (laughs) things being more graphic than they actually were. Yeah. Um, But I want to say that maybe Army of the Dead, the tiger attack sequence, maybe you got a little bit of that crossed over with that memory. Okay. Because that, that was massively explicit and over the top yeah <laughs> like they yeah. really dragged that out <laughs> i appreciate it some people thought it was a little much i was like this is the best shit in the movie it's, yeah <laughs> it's like it's either this or dave batista talking about opening a vegan food truck <laughs> it's like I, i'll take the tiger thank you very much <laughs> i'm not gonna be a piece of shit anymore i swear um yeah so i do like how uh they're like oh he's getting away and the computer's like i don't think so he's not gonna get away at all which is kind of which is kind of nice uh yeah it was cute yeah and now michelle michelle rodriguez is like really knock knock knocking on heaven's door like she's (laughs) really not looking good yeah sorry i I mean you could just you could just replace all of her dialogue from like the sewer sequence onward with that yeah and it would be fine or so by the way when the liquor jumps james purefoy uh it grows and mutates in the span yes. of like two seconds yeah. which is oh. a little cheap okay so while i got you here uh nick and i were talking about something uh last week when we were watching blade 2 and nomac at the end of the yeah. movie, when he's going into the facility that he never is going to find and never going to get through, and he is sucking through all of those guards, like he's got a pile of bodies. Now, was he supercharged at that point, or was he um, had he been uh, basically like an addict for so long that he needs more and more to feed, and that was just where he needed to get to to function? We wanted to get your take on that. Uh, it's been a minute since I've seen the movie. I actually really want to rewatch it uh, because I, I listened to the episode. I edited the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really made me just want to put on the movie right here and now. I'm just, I've got too much shit going on. But um, my take, if memory serves, because I don't remember every little detail leading up to that, that super awesome, brutal hallway sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the implication was that Reapers are physically superior to vampires. Yeah. Because remember the little dude digging its talons in and like it it like its muscle structure distorting yeah like i want to say that he's just like stronger than your average vampire and i don't even know if those soldiers are supposed to be vampires i would guess they're just familiars or humans 
So he could just wreck their shit. <laughs> well, yeah, we weren't sure if the reason why he was just going... Like, he easily could just go through all of them. Like, no problem. But we were wondering if that got him supercharged or if the sickness had just gotten him down. Like they said, they're like crack addicts. They have to feed daily. And you need more and more and more to function or being able to get high as a drug addict. Mm. So we were just... We weren't sure. Well, I mean, I, I think you're probably right on that. Like, when you present it that way, because, like, it's almost tradition, at least in those first two Blade movies, where every time Blade has, like, real fucking blood, he he does He's, some cool shit right afterwards. Yeah. So it's, it's strongly implied that instead of serum if if you have fresh blood it it does juice you up a bit so i wouldn't be surprised at all if that was supposed to be the case with nomak where he definitely feasts on some of those guys in that hallway so oh yeah he's probably jacked <laughs> like, yeah. to say the least okay so, yeah, you're probably right okay just checking yeah um but yeah uh, the liquor mutates and this is where i said uh, i want to say that the movie is trying to do multiple things with the liquor because the liquors don't do this in the games um and in fact the way the red queen describes this thing she says it's an unstable experiment my understanding and i could be wrong uh with the liquors in the games is that they are uh they're a secondary mutation that happens to zombies uh that have the t-virus infection they're not manufactured is what i'm getting at they're just a secondary mutation that happens to, to people who have the T-virus in them. Um, so that was an interesting interpretation. Um, but the creature that I think this is meant to be evocative of uh, is also from Resident Evil 2. I want to say it's supposed to be uh, the G-virus creature, William Birkin, because it, it bears a resemblance to it. It fights them on a train. That's my guess as to what they're trying to do here with this secondary mutation. Honestly, I would have rather just had a different monster. And the the big thing, and I know this is a shitty tangent to go on for you, Kyle, but um, like, it's shocking to me. That as far as I understand, uh, I don't think we ever actually had a live-action tyrant in any of the Resident Evil movies. Because the, the tyrant in the, is usually thought of as like one of the ultimate monsters in the Resident Evil cast. Like In the first game, it's it's the final boss. In many other games, it serves as like a penultimate boss at the very least. It's one of the most iconic creatures that exists in the Resident Evil mythology. And yet, as far as I know, we never got one in live action. And that was always truly bizarre to me um, because I, I personally would have loved to have seen that. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. But no, we, we get this thing that's like, it's like a liquor mixed with a mountain lion uh, that it does some stuff like like it 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 occupies more of the film than the CGI liquor does, but it's an original creation for this film exclusively, and it's not particularly memorable. However, it is kind of cool that they rendered it mostly in puppets. Um, back to the action. Uh, so Michelle Rodriguez is feeling a little woozy. We now have twenty minutes left uh, before the facility locks down completely. Um, Long story short, uh, the Red Queen is demanding that they depacketate Michelle Rodriguez because she's infected and she won't open the door for the survivors unless uh, they remove the infected personnel. Um, but before Mila Jovovich can lop her head off with an axe, uh, Kaplan uh, is revealed to still be alive and he triggers like an EMP or something that fully deactivates the Red Queen and opens the door. Um, the liquor gives chase. 
Uh, we have a techno beat as we head to the train, and uh, we find the mess uh, that is left of James Purefoy at the train platform. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it's it's plenty gruesome. Like there's tons of blood all over the walls and all over the floor. He shit on the walls. He shat on the ceiling. Uh, but I wish we had actually got to see what happened. But you know, the CGI for the liquor was pretty spotty. I understand it probably wouldn't be able to interact with an actor very well. And in fact, like the the stray shots that we get here and there of it, like tussling with him look terrible. Mm -hmm. So I understand why they chose to do it this way. It's just, it's, it's a little bit of a letdown considering this thing is supposed to be the final fucking boss and doesn't even get an on-screen kill. If we're being honest, uh, big, big letdown for me. I, I love my monsters and this monster while looking pretty cool. Doesn't, doesn't honestly get a lot to do. Um, Anyway, uh, what did you think of James Purefoy's Zombo acting? Yeah, not bad. It doesn't even look like him. Actually, is yeah. that even him? I think it is. I think he just says blue contacts in. He, his facial structure looked different. It just it don't it didn't really look like him. I mean, he's covered in so much blood and shit that like I I wouldn't be surprised if they subbed him out for you know a production assistant or something. I mean that I do know from seeing behind the scenes footage that. Uh, the producer and his sister are both in the film as zombies. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if they did some of this on the cheap and on the quick. Um, and James Purefoy, like he's not a household name, but he's almost a name. <laughs> By the way, uh, there's a movie called Solomon Kane, Kyle, that um, I don't know if I would subject you to it, but I, I went out on a limb and I watched it a very long time ago because it's based on the writing of Robert E. Howard, uh, i.e. the guy who wrote Conan. Mm. It's a it's a different character from like a different fictional universe they created. Um, anyway, it, it James Purefoy is the headlining quote headlining star of Solomon Kane. Nobody saw that fucking movie, and there's a very good reason why. Mm. Uh, it's it's not very good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I watched it though. I, I'm one of the few, <laughs> one of the proud, one of the few. Um, anyway, yeah, I actually really like James Purefoy's. Uh, Zombo acting, I thought it's his best contribution to the film. He lets out a really nasty moan. I would have loved to have seen the axe go into his head when uh, <laughs> Mila Jovovich like tries to depacketate him, but you know, we we don't really get that because, like I said, it's a very soft R. Um, and she also drops her wedding ring, by the way, to, like to fully sever the potential connection there could have been. And then we hop on the train for our big fucking finale. And uh, any any notes to go along with this one, Kyle? Uh. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, so Tongue Guy is coming after them on the train, and he is obviously going to get into the train, and once he gets into the train, there's absolutely nothing that they can do to stop him, but yet he gets into the train, he scratches Morbius, keep wanting to call him Morbius, Uh, (laughs) 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 Um, Mabius. Yes. Hallmark. Yeah, Hallmark. Scratches him. I was expecting him to turn into something, but he doesn't. Uh, he does. He in does? the sequel. In the sequel? Okay, I was going to say. I'm like, he should be turning into something immediately. Um, yeah, but the, the liquor gets in there, and how they get rid of him is kind of crazy and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, it's a callback to the, like the early part of the movie. Like It, it, it does makes sense it's just the the thing is very 
like obviously the puppet looks amazing i don't think it interacted with the cast very convincingly though Mm. so they had to be very judicious with with its with their shot placement and their lighting and whatnot uh so its interactions with the cast are very limited but um by the way uh I, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but I was trying to emphasize how dumb our uh, cast of commandos were, because I, I was making a lot of noise about this, but I didn't. I don't think I actually verbalized exactly how dumb these people are. <laughs> so during that that one zombie attack sequence, we only really had one zombie attack sequence in this movie, to be honest, where it was like you know offense and defense and whatnot. Most of the time, we're just running away from them, and the reason we're running away from them is because they expend virtually all of their ammunition in that one scene and they kill exactly no zombies Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's embarrassing (laughs) so by the time we get to this big finale where in a in a resident evil video game you would have access to a wondrous arsenal of weapons that you've been saving for no good reason because you're playing a game that's part of the survival horror genre and you're a kid and you think survival i should probably save my ammo I should probably avoid conflict and save my ammo because I'm going to need it for a hairy situation later. No! Resident Evil movies generally give you more ammunition than you need, but you, part of you wants to sit on the ammo until the big finale. So more than likely, by the time you get to the big finale at the end of the game, you have more. You have ammunition coming out your ears for all the biggest guns you've got. And not only that, the game inevitably will throw a rocket launcher at you just because that's how these games end, is with a rocket launcher. Say what you will about Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. It has a fucking rocket launcher in it. <laughs> like, I didn't like the way they used it, but it has one. Anyway, what I'm getting at here is that, as Kyle said, that this gigantic fucking savage beast gets into the train. By the way, as I said, it doesn't get an on-screen kill. It throws Kaplan off the train. So it's like, oh, well, I mean, I know he's dead, but I would have loved to have seen that. But the, the point I'm trying to emphasize is that it's, in the train we have no weapons to fight it yeah so what do we do like uh, what is the scene like in terms of choreography what can we do and the answer is have eric maybe uh slide like a, a conveyor of pipes into its face and then get knocked on his ass and yeah. and, and then mila jovovich swings some pipes and stabs it through the tongue and that's it yeah like that that's the extent of the combat with this creature yeah. she shoots a couple of bullets at it with a handgun that's not gonna work no. <laughs> i mean it looks cool because it's in slow motion but that's not gonna do anything um it is kind of neat that they decide to have uh, michelle rodriguez go full zombie here and now like it just adds more chaos to the finale uh just it injects more movement into the scene and like i said our options for combating the monster are very very limited so may as well inject a separate element to just jazz up the environment a little bit um anyway she tries to bite eric mabius and uh shock shockingly he gets the kill shot on the monster Mm. i was really shocked by that because he did fuck all in this movie uh milojovich stabs its tongue into a grating in the floor and then he shoots michelle rodriguez in the face uh with with a pistol and she falls backwards into the switch that causes the trap door in the center of the train car to open. And then the monster falls through it. So technically, he, I mean, the two of them combined forces to kill the monster, but he got the kill shot. Yeah. Hallmark got the kill shot. (laughs) He got the kill shot, but it catches on fire somehow. The third rail on the train tracks. 
it gets electrified sure <laughs> right. right. <laughs> that's 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 one for the soundboard. I can't because another podcast I listen to uses that one quite a bit. Okay, I, yeah. I can I I'm can sorry. back you up on that. I don't I don't want to bite off other people's stuff. I don't yeah. want to impinge on other people's I, territory. I've got <laughs> Gary Oldman screaming Air Force One. That's mine. No one else knows that one. <laughs> that one's me. I mean, I didn't know it until you told me. I knew it was Gary Oldman because I know that tone, but yeah. I, I didn't know where from. How do you not? That's I mean, time I think of that movie, if anybody says Air Force One, if they're talking about the Air Force One, not even the movie, I think, Bah-yah! that scream I, immediately. I always, think, I always think of so many other things. I always think of Gary Oldman's ID badge saying he's six feet tall. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, like, I'm pretty sure that's true. That's what I remember. And I remember... Uh, Andrew Devoff is one of the goons, so the Wishmaster is yeah. on the plane. Yeah. Uh, he has a nice little scrap with Harrison Ford. Um, and, of course, get off my plane. And some of the worst like mainstream, big-budget Hollywood summer blockbuster CGI you will ever see in the history of CGI in summer blockbuster film. Yeah. Um, do you know what I'm talking about, Kyle? Uh, the, the, uh, what's his name? You stupid piece of shit. What's that actor's name? Xander Berkeley. Xander Berkeley dying on the Air Force yes. One. That's pretty when great. The plane, when the yeah. plane crashes in the water, that is one of the single worst shots yeah. in, in our lifetime. Uh, <laughs> I love Glenn Close as the vice president. Uh, that she's, she's great as the vice president. I get my uh, wires crossed with her and that and Mars Attacks <laughs> as the first lady. Yeah, those are two different roles. <laughs> Ah, that's a movie I'm, I'm due for a rewatch on. Uh, Actually, both both of those, to be honest. Try to get through Mars. I tried to get through Mars Attacks, buddy. Good luck with that. That is a well, catch a few scenes. There's certain scenes that are fun in Mars Attacks. That is not a full-blown movie. I'll just keep rewinding Jack Black dying. Yeah, Jack Black dying. <laughs> the, the sequence with um, Martin Short and Tim Burton's wife at the time... Um, that creeped me out as a kid it's, when he gets his finger bit off. Yeah, that whole sequence is still very creepy. Still really. I mean, good. he's he's ultra pervy and weird. So it's yeah. like it's creepy on a number of levels. But yeah, I remember being legitimately scared of that as a kid. A yeah. lot of parts in that movie. Jesus. Yeah, there's a few there's a few creepy points, but it, on the whole, not a great movie. Uh. <laughs> okay. So anyway. Uh, the creature, as we said, it falls onto the third rail. It gets dragged by the train. It catches fire, and then it falls behind the train. It's dead. Long story yeah, short, yeah, it's dead. It's no longer with uh, us. Yeah, and Michelle Rodriguez, she's she was zombified. She is now dead. Uh, by the way, she does have a cute little beat uh, before she turns into a zombie, where she's like telling Mila Jovovich, like, if when the time comes, you will shoot me in the fucking brain, won't you? And she's like, Yeah, I totally will. And she like passes out in front of her and we get this moment where Mila Jovovich is like cocking her pistol getting ready to do it and then she's like yo I'm not dead yet yeah. <laughs> like she just wakes up she's like not quite yet <laughs> it's, it's cute I kind of liked it but um, our surviving breeding pair uh, Eric Mabius and Mila Jovovich they uh, get off the train and they very casually walk out of this this train depot when there is a ticking clock factor, like like they get out with seconds to spare, yeah, um, not minutes, and and they actually see the shutter go down uh, as the facility is locked down. Um, but they head back into the mansion. They're about to leave, um, and Hallmark is trying to console her about like, oh, I know you killed, you got my sister killed, but it's totally okay. I didn't even like her. 
Um, and then uh, the wound on his arm that Kyle had mentioned starts like bulging and pulsating. Uh, and he like goes into like convulsions on the floor and she's trying to assist him. And then the doors fling open, the front doors of the mansion fling open. They're grossly black, uh, backlit and a whole bunch of people in like hazmat suits uh, walk in and a, a nice little techno, a snappy techno beat mm-hmm. starts playing in slow motion. Uh, as these uh, <laughs> these dorks try to subdue her, <laughs> she, she hurt. She probably hurt so many stunt people on this film. Yeah, like she beats the shit out of these lab techs. Um, and this is where uh, Jason Isaacs makes another appearance in the film, uh, purely as voiceover. Uh, he's the voice of one of the scientists, oh. and he says the words. Oh, go ahead. Go I was say he does. He is one of the scientists. You can see him as yeah. one of the scientists. We see he he's wearing a surgical mask uh, yeah. when when we're in the hospital briefly. Uh, so we do see him on screen, thankfully. He's got cool eyes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he says the phrase that, you know, me and my friends in the theater were like, oh! Uh, he says, I want him in the Nemesis program. Ah. Uh, the, ne- the Nemesis is probably the, like, the most famous monster from Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nemesis is fucking tight. Like, like I say, it's, you can say anything you want. Like, I, I will fight you though. Like, em- Nemesis is great. You sound like the um, dude that made me watch this movie because he couldn't shut the fuck up about that. Uh, I, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. like, like I said, I remember being in the theater and all of us were super fucking hyped because I think Resident Evil Three Nemesis came out in 1999. It was pretty recent. Not all of us had Dreamcast, so not all of us. And in fact. Not all Resident Evil Ooh. fans have have played Code Veronica, uh, you, so you, we were kind of starved for new Resident Evil by 2002. You watched Solomon Kane, and you saw the poster for that? I did. Wow. <laughs> Whew, buddy. I told you it's awful. I, I'm not saying I'm not defending it in any way. I'm just I'm just shocked that you saw the poster for that, and you're like, yes. <laughs> it has it that. has one of your uh, it has one of your British dudes in it though. Max von um, Sydow. Pete Postlefleet. No, Pete no. Uh, it, from a, he was in Deep Rising uh, and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I think he was in Lockstock. Um, I don't know his name, but you knew uh, Fleming. Is Ian it Jason Fleming. Fleming? Ian? Jason no, Fleming. Oh, no, that's that's the James Bond guy. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I think yeah, Jason Fleming. Um, yeah, he's he's in there. I think it's the the big bad in it. Oh, okay. That's right. not encouraging. Like, like he he's sometimes good. He's not good in that. <laughs> yeah, he's sometimes good. He's sometimes good. I yeah. think that's very accurate. Yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, we get the the Nemesis name drop. They got all the kids hyped. Uh, they totally shat the bed when it came to Nemesis. That that's actually a, largely why that sequel sucks. I mean, it sucks for so many reasons, but they completely fucked up Nemesis. Like, they got it about as wrong as you could get, um, but which really hurt me personally, because like I said, I, I, like, the, I like the monster, and, and, I, and not only that, I really love that game, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, I think, I don't know if it's underrated, but it's not talked about enough, it's a fantastic game, uh, I put a lot of hours into that one. Um, we uh, cut from that scene as Mila Jovovich is subdued and uh, Eric Mabius is uh, taken away, uh, and uh, we cut to the Raccoon City Hospital, uh, mm-hmm. where we see Jason Isaacs from behind a surgical mask, uh, talking about. He's like musing about uh, examining Alice and wanting to reopen the hive, which I don't remember if that ever really happens in the movies going forward. It's just like 
probably a laying the groundwork for sequels we weren't positive we were going to be getting just yet um and anyway uh alice awakes on like a like an operating table covered in ivs and wearing uh like not even a full hospital gown um and uh i don't know this is this seems like another mila jovovichism where it's just like something she has to do in her movies is like have a physical like a highly physical freak out sequence where she's like i don't know exposed to the elements and looking worse for wear um anyway uh no one is monitoring her and we get a, a nice little jump scare as uh there's someone like there's like a security booth and we see just like a shadowy figure pass in front of the camera she's pounding on the glass and uh she, she uh unlocks the door with one of the iv needles she like sh- shorts the electrical circuit or something yeah and then we get our and then we get our final shot kyle yeah, we get the, uh, it's literally the opening to um, 28 Days Later, like, except for the gun. You switch out the guns for a bag of sodas, uh, then you've got the the opening to 28 Days Later. Yeah, and and swap out uh, Cillian Murphy for Mila Jovovich. It's, it's the same concept, mm-hmm. uh, although this is probably executed with quite a bit more money and tech behind it. So it's probably more visually impressive? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, very, it's it's not. not at all. It's not more visually impressive. You remember, they're in downtown London uh, for that for that shot. Like him coming outside. And it's legit on location. And it looks like it's deserted. So I will completely disagree with you on that. I think that... Uh, go ahead. Oh, I, was, I was more talking about the camera movement. Oh. Yeah. Um. <laughs> No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the camera movement? What are you talking about the but camera no, movement? No, of, of course downtown London's going to be more impressive though. Just in terms of scale and the fact that it's fucking London, you know, a hustling bustling city. Wasn't the story behind that they had like nude models or something or just like models blocking traffic for them? I'm not I don't remember what the story was. Uh I mean that I think they maybe had attractive women in bikinis or something like that. I maybe? think so, yeah. That might be something. Might have been something. But yeah, go back and watch that opening shot and tell me that the the shots are the thing that like which one's superior. Come on, man, just go okay. back and watch that opening. Come on, come on. Okay, I, I will have to because it has been since whenever we did that yeah. episode of the podcast that I saw that thing, and I only I've only seen that movie once. Uh, not like you, I, mm. but um, <laughs> it's a good one. I, in fact, you did say the sequel's not half bad too, right? I actually enjoy the sequel. It's not too bad. Isn't uh, Robert Carlyle in that one? Mm, it is. It is a great. It's it's an excellent opening scene in that movie. It'll get you from the opening scene. It's woof. Yeah. Maybe we should do that one sometime because I I, I I like Robert Carlyle. I I liked that first movie, and if you say the second one's not half bad, I'd, I'm interested. I'd like to cover some zombie movies. I'd like to do a zombie month, like just some different some different iterations, because I'd like to go over Train to Busan. I don't know if you've seen that yet. I still haven't, but I, uh, Kyle had watched it not too long ago, and he loved it. Yeah, I think that it's definitely worth talking about. So, Okay, Zombie Month is something we should put down on the books. But, yep. uh, but yeah, uh, we, we zoom out and we see uh, a, a totally destroyed Raccoon City, um, rendered much better in this one single shot than it is in the entirety of the sequel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of a bummer. Um little bit of a tangent but i i was really bummed uh, with the way they ended welcome to raccoon city because it, it shut the door on things that i still would have liked to have seen done on film um 
I'm not going to spoil it because the movie's recent enough uh, that, you know, anybody who hasn't seen it should probably run out and see it. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's the end of the movie. And, and there will be many, many, many sequels to come, uh, largely of declining quality. But I think this movie's <laughs> not half bad. Um, it's not amazing by any means. But as far as, like, early video game adaptation movies go, um, I, I think it's one of the better ones for for the most part uh it's funny i actually failed to mention this I'm, I'm surprised i didn't but when i was talking about comparisons to aliens and like deep rising and even like carnosaur 2 and like just movies of this type uh another movie that's also not half bad that's also based on a video game that this one reminds me of quite a bit uh is doom uh have you seen that one kyle no it's it's not terrible um and i actually watching this movie kind of made me want to go back and rewatch that one too um it's also apparently getting like a random 4k re-release maybe to capitalize on the marketing synergy behind like uh the rocks uh, black adam movie uh being in the pipe at the moment um but yeah doom was surprisingly not terrible uh that that was a shocker i saw that one in the theater <laughs> um but it it reminds these two movies i get my wires crossed about them um, I, neither of them are classics by any means, but I, I do think they're both okay. But uh, any closing thoughts about this one, Kyle? No, not really. I kind of just want to watch a horror movie now, but I just don't know which one. Okay, we'll have fun with that. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, uh, folks at home, if you'd like to catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, you can do so by navigating to our website, uh, catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias, on the Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter, at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every podcast tracker you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. Mm-hmm. That being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Yeah.